Good evening. Good evening. If you're in Europe, good evening. Everywhere else, good afternoon. <laughs> and welcome to another edition of Atlas Information Live. This, our first Sunday afternoon edition. Um, we take it, if you are here, that you got the message that uh, we are making some changes to our schedule, to our roster of live streams. And uh, in our announcement, we made that information clear. However, uh, we're going to take a few minutes just to reiterate uh, why this change is being made, just for your benefit <clears throat> and to understand that uh, we have our priorities that we have to get in, get aligned and get in check and make sure that we're not allowing certain things to jeopardize other aspects of our work. So uh, before we begin, we would like to take this opportunity to just jump in the comments and share with you the link that if you would like to uh, join the discussion more than just in the chat, you can feel free to click on that link. It's in the chat, it's on the screen. You can follow that link, whether you're on a cell phone or on a computer, as long as you have a microphone, you don't even have, you don't even have to use your camera. You can just come on with your voice only. And uh, it'll be just like a, like participating in a Zoom call. You'll just be one of our guests. So that invitation is there, and that link is there for you in the chat to use at, uh, at your will. So we are going to uh, see, we already see there, there's quite a few people tuning in, which is probably, uh, this is probably a better time for... I imagine most people because we can cover both time zones, both North America and Europe, and of course, Africa and the Near East, uh, doing live streams at this time. And it's simply a fact that given all of the work that we have to do at this moment, particularly when it comes to writing our book and doing the social media around increasing the following around our social media in order to uh, make that book more attractive to publishers. Um, it meant that the time and energy that we were spending on our live streams that averaged anywhere between two and three hours, but sometimes even longer than three hours, some live streams we, we have went even four hours. Um, that the toll that that was taking on us, um, in terms of time, but also in terms of energy, uh, was too great. And we found that we could keep up the live streams, but, but we had no energy left to work on the book. We could maybe, maybe get two or three hours, maybe a day writing the book. And that was just, that's, that's just unacceptable. Uh, for that, that book, which we are writing on the nature of fear, that is the singular pandemic which the world is suffering from. It is the single greatest uh, ego, the single greatest antithesis of the spiritual path that everyone on this planet suffer, suffers from. From the global elite right down to the impoverished poor at the bottom of the pyramid 
and everyone in between. No one is exempt. No one is without fear. No one. And anybody who believes that they are, are most possessed by it. Because fear is the antithesis of faith. Fear is what is behind all adversarial relationships within ourselves, all of our egos. It's not just lust. It's not just desire. Remember, desire requires an outcome. And fear is behind the control of outcomes, the desire to control outcomes. That's fear. So it's intimately related with lust. Fear cannot be separated from any and all egos. Fear is the great chameleon. One can look at it this way. If faith is trust, true faith comes from knowledge, right? Knowledge of your partner, for example. Knowledge of God. Knowledge of your intimate, innermost being. To put your faith and trust in your Divine Mother is to know that she has your back. To know that she has your best interest at heart. To know that everything that is happening to you is happening for a reason including all of your tests, trials, and ordeals. To know that is to have faith and to trust that process, to trust the path. That is faith. To put your faith and trust in that knowledge and in the hands of your innermost being and your Divine Mother, your true self. To not have trust, the opposite of that, the opposite of trust, is fear, suspicion, not doubt, because doubt is an important characteristic of consciousness. But fear is to distrust, to not have faith. To not know, because we fear that which we do not know. In other words, without faith, Fear automatically emerges because faith comes from knowledge, from direct knowledge. Direct experiential knowledge. True faith is direct knowledge. That to know, in other words. And that's where that trust comes from because we know. And where we do not know, we fear what we do not know. We fear outcomes. We fear the unknown. Fear arises and it consumes us and it possesses us when we do not know ourselves, when we do not know our innermost intimate Christ, when we do not know our Divine Mother has our back, when we do, when we do not know that everything that is happening to us is as a result of our own defects and vices, it's a, a result of our own karma, then everything that's happening to us on the path is for our own good. It is part of our path to overcome the very defects and vices that got us here in the first place. But of course, not knowing that, fear takes hold. And fear, the great terrorist, the great con man, and the great chameleon comes to us masked 
in many, many different forms. And those forms are what seduce us and hypnotize us and convince us that we have to take certain actions to do what? To protect ourselves, to secure our comfort and security, and to control others in the world around us to secure the outcomes which can be known to us. So fear is that lower animal mechanical answer when we lack faith, when we lack knowledge. Because to control, to desperately try to control our world and desperately to try to control our outcomes, that's what breeds expectations and then when those expectations are not fulfilled, we suffer. And even if those expectations are fulfilled, well, tomorrow is another day. And tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, every time any of our desires, any of our expectations, any of our attachments are satisfied, they're only satisfied momentarily. Because tomorrow is another day. There's a whole new set of challenges. There's a whole new unknown which fear then tries to orchestrate for us to know, for us to plan for the future and plan to control those outcomes so that they can be positive in nature for us, so they can be comfortable and secure and familiar to us. In other words, being creatures of habit. We want what we want. What we want. So for humanity to know this and comprehend this and understand this in a very, very deep and meaningful and practical way to be able to combat this within themselves, to recognize it and combat it within and combat it within themselves is the purpose of our book. And it is not a great uh, theological work and it is not a great philosophical work it is not a great psychological work it is not a great work of of intellectualism it's not a great argument what it is is an attempt to create a simple and accessible work of conscious literature a a an exercise in puzzle making whereby together with the reader, the reader of the book, we give them the pieces of the puzzle. We turn all the pieces upright and we define the corners and the edges. And we allow for the reader to take the remaining puzzle pieces and put them into place, to experience, to be, to engage them and allow them to partake in and be a part of the creation of self-evident experiential knowledge and allow for them the big picture to materialize within their own mind's eye with the puzzle pieces that we are uh, giving them. We're not here trying to spoon feed anybody. But of course, to write something of this nature is essentially a, an act of meditation. I'm not writing the book. Atlas is only a messenger. And so it takes an incredible amount of energy 
to be able to be engaged in a, in a wakeful meditation and allow the information coming in to go directly into the keyboard. And in the same way that these live streams are that. And it is, uh, again, it's, it's too taxing for us to be able to do this three times a week for three hours, four hours a, a, a shot. And then, and then all the other meme creation and all the other work that we're uh, uh, trying to do on top of our other responsibilities and writing a book. It's, it's too draining. We, 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 we run out of energy to, to, uh, actually work on the book and we can't we can't allow that to happen so these live streams then will move to one a week on this new this time two o'clock in the afternoon sundays and uh, we will as always uh post an ad on facebook and youtube ahead of time uh saying what the topic is with links and so on so um so we hope that this will accommodate your needs and your schedule as well and uh in no way shape or form are we abandoning our work when it comes to these live streams it's just that we have to we have to be more realistic as to our limitations and um and it was fine doing three a week last year and leading up to this point because we weren't working on the book and we weren't doing the social media stuff as we are right now so uh it's all of this is is there's only one way to find out right what we're capable of and not capable of and that's to try it but we have to learn from our mistakes we have to be able to observe ourselves and listen to our body and listen to and recognize our limitations and recognize that we've when we've bitten off more than we can chew so we're responding to that. All right. Uh, Benjamin has a couple comments here. Fear is the ultimate weapon for the ruling elite. Our faith, hope, and love are what they fear. Um, yes, they're totally possessed by fear themselves. They, the, the global elite, they are, they are just pawns of the Black Lodge. They're, they're just pawns of fear. They ego projects, right? That's the nature of ego. So if someone is someone who's terrified, naturally, they're going to use fear as their greatest weapon. Because they know, because that's what they know. That's what they are. What else could they use? What else could they enact in the world but that which they are? It's meditate on this. Everything in the world, all the so-called evil we see in the world is not in the world there is no evil in the world recognize that there is none there is only ego there's only the actions and the projections of ego what that which we that which we call evil that's all there is all there are are people and what rules them And so the rule that you see in the world is an illusion. It's a projection. 
It's a result. It's not a cause. It's a result. And Benjamin says, it reminds me of the movie The Green Lantern where Mephisto discovered how to use the power of fear rather than willpower. Uh, yeah, it's too bad that film wasn't better. Uh, but, uh, and Mark Strong made a great Mephisto. Um, but yes, they, and the, uh, the funny thing is, is that the, uh, the Green Lantern Corps used the, that, the energy of willpower and the, uh, and imagination. That's one of the things about Green Lantern is that he, he creates these weapons with his imagination to, to defeat, uh, his adversaries and the, uh, and Mephisto, uh, uses these, the so-called the yellow power and yellow is, is the color of, you know, yellow belly, right? It's the, it's a color of cowards, right? That's what, that's at least in American English, they would say, you're yellow. Are you yellow? Right. That's a, it's like, it's in Westerns and stuff. You hear that. Are you yellow? Uh, but anyway, uh, Benjamin says, thank you for those words. They surely are worth meditating on. All right. Well, that brings us to the actual topic for today. And you can see uh, from the graphic behind us here, we are uh, approaching the end of our series on core practices, which we began, what, I guess, two weeks ago? Three weeks ago, something like that. Can you remember? And it is the second of our live streams dealing with tr transmutation. And really, what we are to talk about today, sexual alchemy, is the culmination. It is the synthesis of all the other practices that we have talked about so far, these core practices. If you recall, they have included self-observation, self-remembering, transformation of impressions, meditation, pranayama, and runes, The, the spiritual power of sound, working with mantra and prayer, and transmutation, and explaining how transmutation is at the underlying foundation of all of those practices, including mantra, including prayer, including especially pranayama, and transformation of impressions. Transmutation or the transubstantiation, the transformation of that which is mundane and impure into its purified state. It's transmuted, it's, it's uh, refined state. Sexual alchemy is 
the ultimate expression of that. It is the most powerful and in many ways, most difficult practice there is. Traditionally, sexual alchemy, also known as white Tantra, was a secret teaching. It was a secret knowledge. It was never revealed to the masses, nor even to initiates in any tradition. The practice of white Tantra, even to this day in traditions such as Tibetan Buddhism, white Tantra is the highest practice. It is the, it is the most closely guarded secret teaching and only the highest initiate monks and nuns are initiated into the level of practicing sexual alchemy. Now, why is that? We have, hopefully by now, explained in our discussions of the elements, in our discussion of prana, in our discussion of the Divine Mother, the three forces, the three factors that the creative force in the universe is sexual. Positive, negative, and union of positive and negative forces. Like electricity itself and magnetism. We all know that there are there is positive and negative poles in both uh, the flow of electricity, but also in, in the electromagnetic field. And that it is only through the balanced union of these two potentialities that either becomes meaningful, that, that, that actual electricity or magnetism is generated. You cannot have electricity with one pole and you cannot have magnetism with one with, with only one pole it just doesn't work and so for that reason <clears throat> we also know that there are results in the universe there are effects that we can witness we just were speaking uh, a few moments ago about the so-called evil in the world, all of these outcomes. And we are should all be by now familiar with our own defects and vices, our egos. Fear, anger, lust, greed, pride, envy, laziness, gluttony. And all of these egos desire certain outcomes, particularly lust but also fear. Fear wants to control all outcomes. And fear wants those outcomes to be, to have, uh, to create and secure 
comfort and security and longevity and uh, etc. So to have a practice called sexual alchemy, white tantra, which harnesses the power, the creative power of the universe is a tremendous, well, it's what, it is what it is. It's a tremendous power. And what we learned from uh, the recent Spider-Man films, when I say recent, going all the way back to the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man films of, I guess, about, what, it must be 20 years by now. The whole theme of the Spider-Man saga is with great power comes great responsibility. With great power comes great responsibility. Now, just look around the world today. Just, just observe and just in your own imagination, take a quick inventory of the behavior of this humanity and pick the top three, top five, top 10 words that come to mind, which would best describe this humanity. Does the word responsible make your list of words describing this humanity? And you can even just look to yourself Right? Honestly, you don't have to tell us, just, just for yourself, honestly. How responsible have you been or are you? And the people around you and the world around you, does the word responsible make the list? How many people do you know would you trust with a nuclear weapon? And that's not hyperbole, by the way. That's not hyperbole. The power that we are working with, the energy that we are working with, is more powerful than that which is released when a nuclear bomb goes off. All of that energy is within the atoms that are inside of you right now. Because what is atomic energy, right? What is nuclear fission? Splitting an atom. We split the atom and we create an atom bomb. That's what we call them, right? That's what we dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And if you've seen that footage, if you, see, you, you know what we're talking about there and all of the terrible radiation and everything else that, that, that is released. But the real power, and all the scientists know this, 
the real power comes from nuclear fusion. And that nuclear fusion, that which powers the sun, which is hundreds of billions of times more powerful than the atom that then all of the atom bombs that were ever dropped going off every single second of every single day for literally billions of years that is fusion energy and that's what these scientists today are so desperately trying to figure out how to do. It's how to create the energy of a sun by fusing together the elements which make up an atom, positive and negative and neutral. That is the power of sex. That is the power of sexual alchemy. That is the power that is create that is generated the heat and the intensity when a man and a woman come together in a loving monogamous union to experience to know the Christ Azaziel chimes in here and he says, yeah, so lust is basically like a general and fear like a captain. Yes, it's depending on how you, you, you uh, uh, orient yourself there. You could look at it that way. You could also, you could also look at it uh, in the way of, uh, it depends on your orientation at any given moment. You could also look at it as uh, lust is the emperor and fear is Darth Vader. The Sith always work in pairs. But really, in the in the real, it's it's really it's 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 not a it's not useful to get into these uh, conversations that are like competition, like which came first and which is more powerful, lust or fear, because the two are intimately related. They're intimately connected. It's just this is what Star Wars teaches us as a modern mythology. You really can't have one without the other. The Sith always, there's always two, a master and an apprentice. And it's really up to you to decide, you know, which is the master and which is the apprentice inside of you. Is it fear that's your master and lust is the apprentice? Lust serves fear? Or does fear serve lust? It's really up to you to decide that. Because remember that when it comes to the Sith, the apprentice is always 
scheming to murder their master. The apprentice always wants to become the master. And that's true for all egos. They're all in this dominance hierarchy. They're all like, they're all playing this game of king of the hill. They all want to sit on the throne. They all want to be in control. They all want to be in control just as, just long enough to get what they want, right? And have been, have their desires momentarily satisfied. And then another ego comes and knocks them off the throne. And we've shown this many times and we have created memes showing this, 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 this king of the hill, this uh, uh, game that our egos play. But definitely uh, what these egos desire is access to that creative power. That's certainly what the Sith want in Star Wars. They desire power above all else. And if you look at the history of humanity and you look at present day humanity, those who lust after and crave what they, what they crave the most is power. They want to dominate. They want to control. It's the power that they crave. It's the power that they desire. What is that power? It is the power of Christ. It is the power to create and to destroy. It is the power of life and death. The difference, of course, is that someone who's on the spiritual path, the path of the Bodhisattva, understands there's the third factor. Birth of the human soul, death of the ego, and sacrifice for humanity. One who is on the path of the Bodhisattva works with the fire, works with the power of creation and destruction, harnesses the power of fusion energy, the power of sex, the creative and destructive force of the universe, the power of Christ. But they do so not for their own sake. They do so for the sake of others. They do so for the sake of humanity. They sacrifice. They forego all worldly comforts, all material ownership, all accolades and titles and and all worldly power, they forego all of it. They sacrifice all of that because they sacrifice themselves. They ask those aspects of themselves which desire those things. Fear, which desires comfort and security. Lust, which desires uh, to fornicate and desires uh, many partners and pride, which desires many followers and many accolades 
and awards and recognition and fame and notoriety, etc. And envy, which desires what others possess. And all of the egos that are defined by that which they desire. While a bodhisattva sacrifices themselves. They undergo the process of destruction that they are engaged in is the destruction of themselves. Benjamin asks, is that kind of sacrifice an allegory of the animal sacrifice in the Old Testament? Yes. Because every animal that's sacrificed in the Old Testament is the animal self, the lower self. So we are sacrificing our animal nature to God. Yes, that's exactly right. We're sacrificing our, our inner animal, our, our lower self, our lower animal selves. We are putting them on the altar, sacrificial altar to glorify God. Well, what God are we glorifying but our higher selves, our innermost being, our innermost intimate Christ? And this allegory uh it's it gets more complicated and more sophisticated in the old testament in the story of abraham where abraham is told to sacrifice his son isaac And, and Abraham says, okay, yeah, I'll do it. And, he, and as he raises his knife to sacrifice his son, God stays his hand and he says, no, no, sacrifice that goat instead. This is an allegory for the, the mortal vessel and the innermost being and and it and it's a test of Abraham's faith. But Abraham is told to no, sac don't don't sacrifice your son. Just sacrifice the goat instead. Sacrifice the animal aspects of yourself. And that is how to show your faith. But when God tells him to sacrifice his son, all of his, all of the, uh, the character, his character, the character of his persona, he says, yeah, well, I'll do it. Uh, we don't have the time and I don't have the knowledge to get into uh, all of the details of that particular uh, biblical story. Um, because it is a very intricate and sophisticated and complex series of symbols and metaphors and allegories. And one should, one really needs to dig into the, the Hebrew as well to really appreciate all the symbols and knowledge. But uh, this is, but it's, it's outlined in some of the books of Master Samael, but also in some of the lectures on uh, glorian.org. Particularly what comes to mind is the lecture on Hermes, 
it's part of the alchemy course and um we can actually bring it up here on screen let's see if we can do this let's okay so there is uh no here okay here it is the uh the lecture on mercury and hermes here's the link now if we got this right yeah okay we go all the way down this is one of these long now you can read this and you can listen to it there's the audio for this lecture as well uh there's christ with the lamb that's another thing that you'll often see is is the christ is a shepherd and you'll see many masters being shepherds or caretakers of animals that's another symbol it's related to the sacrifice of animals but also the the uh taking care of animals uh here okay so it's this lecture we put the link in the description this is a excellent well the entire course is excellent and we we can recommend it right all the lectures related to alchemy we can recommend especially in relation to today's live stream um, but what we are talking about just now in this whole thing about sacrifice and sacrificing uh, Isaac's son and sacrificing the 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 the, uh, the goat and making the well digging the well and stoning off the walls of the well and how that relates to sexual alchemy and the transmutation of the sexual force that's all described in this part of this lecture and as you can see it's 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 pretty in-depth so uh there's a lot of biblical references and a lot of there's a lot of hebrew in there and again we just simply don't have this this level of uh biblical knowledge and the knowledge of the ancient hebrew and so on but that's not our job it's not our job to do that glorian has done that and master samael and the gnostic instructors they have spent their lives studying in order to be able to do this we're not here to repeat their work we're here in part to make you aware of it and make you aware that it is there and it's available to you there's no reason there's no excuse why you can't go and listen to those lectures and study and receive the information that they have gone to great lengths and great efforts to make available uh, for free although if you do benefit from their efforts um, it wouldn't hurt to make a small donation to them because they are a not-for-profit organization and everybody there does whatever they do with no remuneration whatsoever so they do it simply because of their love for humanity and because it's their part of their calling <clears throat> All right, so where were we? Oh, yes. The power of sex and the power of harnessing 
the power of sex, was therefore kept secret and was only given to those who had, who had demonstrated that they possessed the right character and that they had earned through demonstration of their responsibility, demonstration of their devotion and conviction and in integrity that they would not misuse the knowledge, that they would not misuse the power. Because with great power comes great responsibility. And that tradition is upheld even today in traditions like uh, Tibetan Buddhism. But of course, times change and in the modern era, the dawning of the age of Aquarius, a great many occult, esoteric traditions became not just known, but widely circulated. And they were being circulated as much by the black magicians as anyone else, the Black Lodge. And today, their, uh, their chapters, their, their schools are everywhere. And they saturate the, that which we call the New Age. And if you, for example, do a search for manifesting desires, manifesting your desires, you will find uh, umpteen unlimited resources explaining the power of creation and the power to of attraction and how to harness your vital energies and your sexual energies in order to manifest that which you desire in your life. In other words, any and every doctrine which explains how to harness the sexual force in order to satisfy your desires is a doctrine of black magic, is a doctrine of how to harness the sexual power, the power of creation in or, for the sake of the ego, in order to create and attract and manifest that which the ego desires to satisfy ego. And as you know, ego can never be satisfied. Ego, like any parasite, only grows the more you feed it. So an ego is like a tapeworm. Just imagine a tapeworm that is, isn't just in your intestines, but throughout your entire body and in your mind and in your heart. And if you have a dog, you know that dogs have to take, you have to give dogs pills for heartworm because heartworm in dogs, just like a tapeworm in a human being. 
And you know that a tapeworm, you you can eat 24 hours a day and starve to death if you have a tapeworm. Because a tapeworm will just keep eating and eating and eating and eating and eating until eventually the whole of your intestines are completely filled with tapeworm. And everything that you eat goes directly into the tapeworm. The ego is that way. So you can manifest all you want and it'll never be enough. It'll never, ever, ever be enough. And in relation to this, every tantric school, so-called school of tantra, that encourages the orgasm and explains and has all these beautiful explanations and rationalizations and justifications as to why and how orgasm brings you closer to God, all of those schools are schools of black magic. They're all teaching black tantra. The harnessing of the sexual force to heighten and increase sexual pleasure, to heighten and increase the intensity, the duration, or the quantity of orgasms. When the only thing that desires the orgasm is lust. Your innermost being doesn't desire the orgasm. Your body may desire it, but only because lust makes it so. Because frankly, your body doesn't desire the orgasm either. It's made to desire the orgasm because our sexual energy is so bundled up and intertwined now and tangled up with lust. But in actual fact, the orgasm is harmful to the body. It's detrimental to the body. It's not what the doctors say. Doctors, physicians, and psychologists, and everybody says, no, no, it's really that orgasm is healthy. Orgasm is not healthy to the body. They only say that because of the alternative. Because they don't know anything about pranayama. They don't know anything about transmuting the sexual force. They don't know anything about uh, working with the sexual energy and the vital energy. So they don't know anything about you harnessing and using the vital energy and transforming it and exercising it and working with it and, and circulating it through the body. So they only understand orgasm or no orgasm. Orgasm or, or, uh, or um, celibacy. That's all they know. And celibacy, that is abstention from sex and abstention from and, and not doing pranayama or not, not using the sexual force in any way, well, that is detrimental to the body. And that causes a buildup of the sexual force. That's repressed sexual energy. And that's like a powder keg. That's like stuffing more and more and more TNT into a tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter package. Sooner or later, there's going to be so much explosive energetic potential crammed into such a small little space that any little thing will make it go off. We'll make it combust. We'll make it explode. And in the meantime, that energy 
is radiating these toxic fumes, these repressed sexual fumes. And that leads to all sorts of deranged thoughts and behaviors on the part of the person who's sexually repressed. So that is why doctors and psychologists and health professionals and so-called new age health uh, gurus say that orgasm is healthy. Because they know enough to know that the sexual energy must flow. And they will tell you that. The sexual energy must be allowed to flow. It's very dangerous to repress it. And they're right about that. It is dangerous to repress it. However, the sexual energy can flow up and in. It doesn't need to flow down and out the way the doctors and psychologists and the healthcare uh, uh, gurus tell you that it's natural that it's perfectly natural and it's perfectly this and it's perfectly that it's perfectly healthy it's not perfectly healthy because anyone who's ever had an orgasm knows that it's an overstimulation of the central ner nervous system it's an overstimulation of the nadis it is an explosion it is fission it is separation it is a nuclear bomb going off energetically in your vital body and all of that energy is overloading the system as that energy is leaving the system. So it's, 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 like, it's like a rocket engine. If you know anything about rocketry, you know that they have to super cool rocket engines with liquid nitrogen to keep them from melting. As Aziel says, those schools exist within, and that relation with this subject is in fact scary. This is how we see these schools acting upon those who want to manifest desires. Um, Azazil, were you trying to uh, connect a moment ago? Because it says that your devices are not connected. We show you here in our window, but we can't add you to the stream because it says that your devices are not connected. So if you want to join, uh, just f feel free to do so. It's just we didn't notice until now. Uh, so maybe there's something uh, happening with your uh, devices on your end. All right. So we're talking about working with, yeah, Azaza, it still says that your devices are not connected. There might be something on your end, whether it's, I don't know what you, uh, what technology you're trying to use, but um, we can't add you because it's we, we keep getting a, a, a technical error. Um, it goes without saying then that when we are talking about harnessing the creative power of the universe, let's make no mistake. Okay, the average person uses this power and harnesses this power on a daily basis for thousands of years. Right? There have been literally billions of babies conceived using the power of creation. It is self-evident. It's the power of Christ. It's the power of creation that human beings use to create more human beings. 
But of course, they're not human beings. They're intellectual animals mistaking themselves as human beings. And the reason why they're not human beings is because they're asleep. And one of the reasons why they are asleep is because they were born of lust. Because their parents had sex like animals. And if two animals have sex, two animals having sex cannot produce a human being. This is just self-evident truth. You cannot take two animals, have them copulate and fornicate, and have the result of that fornication be a human being. It is simply not possible. It's not possible biologically. It's not possible physically. It's not possible energetically. Creation, the force and power and energy of creation, will always reflect how the energy was utilized. What is created is always a reflection of what went into the crucible of creation. Again, this is self-evident. Ironically, it was uh, Wayne Dyer who once said that if you squeeze an orange, what comes out of it? Right? Orange juice. Why does orange juice come out of an orange? Because it's an orange, because that's what's inside. And you don't you don't squeeze an orange and expect to get grape juice. That's stupid. That's foolishness. That's ignorance. And he went on to say that if you know if, if someone squeezes you, then what comes out of you is hatred and anger and vulgarities and 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 retaliation and all this stuff it's not because of who did the squeezing it's because all those things were inside of you and the squeezing just made all that stuff come out well the same thing can be said by looking at a pot on the stove and you bring water up to a boil you're going to make a soup and if you put vegetables and meat and spices into that soup and you put in bones and you boil the bones for a long period of time, you create a, you make a stock from the marrow from the bones, the soup, what you have at the end of that process can only be what went into the pot and can only be a reflection of the, the, the recipe, the cooking process, which you used. This is self-evident. Anybody that has ever cooked anything knows that real food can only ever be a product of what went in and the skill and the love, including the skill and the love which went into its preparation.
That's where we get the expression garbage in, garbage out. If you engage in sexual activity and your mind is filled with lust and the, the recipe you are using, <clears throat> the acts that you are engaging in are filled with lust and they're bringing the water to a boil in 30 seconds. And the outcome is a huge explosion of sexual pleasure, of sexual gratification, fornication of the orgasm for both men and women. You cannot produce a divine being through that process. You can own the most you can produce is more lust, and the most that you can produce is another animal, another intellectual animal, who will be brought into this world through tremendous pain on the part of the mother, and who will be riddled with all manner of egos and vices and, you know, in accordance with their karma. That's the only thing that you can create through an act of animal creation, through an act of animal sex. But with the right recipe, the right methodology, some individuals learn how to harness that creative power <coughs> to awaken, to not just indulge their lust like normal people do, like the like regular people, they have sex and they they satisfy their lust and then they they go to sleep and you know tomorrow's another day. But there is a group of people who recognize that what they are working with here is tremendous power and they lust for that power. It's not only that they lust, their lust lusts for the power. Their lust desires to awaken. Their egos want to become more powerful and more have more influence and have more control over their host. So those individuals harness the sexual force to create within themselves a, at first, a black magician and then eventually a full-blown awakened demon. And that's the end result of black magic. That's the purpose of black magic. Regardless of what any black magician will tell you or whatever any black magician believes. Because black magicians 
have this wonderful way of rationalizing and justifying for themselves what they're doing, but they don't realize that all of those rationalizations and justifications came from their ego mind. In other words, the very demons inside of them that are controlling and manipulating them and inching them further and further and further along the path of awakening as the demon itself. In other words, the, the, the personality, it's, it's a very similar process to awakening positively as your innermost being, only you're not awakening as your innermost being, you're awakening as lust or as greed or as a demon. We, of course, are not going to explain any of their methodologies or any of the ways in which they harness or any of the ways in which they accomplish this. But this is the reason why white tantra, sexual alchemy, was kept secret. Oh. Hello, yeah. Zab how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Welcome to the uh, the secret teachings of... of uh... <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, <clears throat> we're glad you can join us. Uh, we hope that this uh, time works well for you as well. It does. Um, and then uh, that that way that al that allows us to uh, to keep our uh, <clears throat> our uh, weekdays free for we call our our day job. And then we can yeah. we can make these live streams more of a of a weekend kind of a break for us. Kind of we can we can work we can talk about other things other than what we're writing on uh, writing yeah. about in the book. Um, all right, so coming back to um, this discussion about the power that we're working with, then we're working with the power of creation, and obviously, if we can work with this power in the wrong way, in the negative way, to create a demon. And that's why this teaching was kept secret. Well, then the opposite is also true. Is that the power of, obviously, the creative power of the universe, the power of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, the sexual force can be used to create a god. And that God that it can create is our true self, our monad, our, our, our innermost being, who in us is just an essence, a seed. It is a God in potentiality only. And it must undergo the metamorphosis. It must experience the death and the resurrection to be born again of the waters and the spirit. And this process is what is allegorized in, in symbol and in myth and in scripture, in all the great world religions and spiritual traditions throughout time. It is repeated over and over and over and over and over again using different characters in different times in different places and different symbols, but there's a few symbols which are universal, which 
Um, <clears throat> for example, the symbol of the serpent. The serpent is a ubiquitous symbol in spirituality and in the ancient world. And you will find it everywhere from, obviously, the, the serpent from the book of Genesis <clears throat> to the serpents that, uh, that uh, bite the heels of the Israelites in the desert and the serpent of bronze, which Moses raises up on his staff to the serpents that the the that protect the buddha as he sits under the bodhi tree and achieves enlightenment he's guarded by a, a cobra which shields him from the rain um, then there's the winged serpent of quetzalcoatl of the mayans and the aztecs who's the south american christ there's the the serpents that appear in the egyptian mysteries they're the serpents that are rising up the caduceus of uh, Mercury or the, uh, the, the staff of Hermes. It goes on and on and on and on. There's also the, the, uh, the serpents on Medusa's head that Perseus has to decapitate. And then there's the, even in um, the legend of St. George and the dragon. The dragon is just another version of the serpent, right? The winged, winged serpent. Like Quetzalcoatl is a winged serpent. The serpent, the, um, the the dragons in in the east and the far east are winged serpents. And then George and the the dragon. George has to defeat the uh, the dragon. Yeah, and I believe Tiamat and Medusa is related as well, right? Yes. Well, Medusa has all of those serpents on her head. They represent all of the legion of egos. Yeah. And Perseus has to descend into the labyrinth of the subconscious mind. And he has to decapitate Medusa. That's that's a uh, symbol of ego death. But the reason why they're serpents is because the sexual force can rise up or rise or go down. And so the ego tempts us through the sexual force because it's the sexual energy that the ego wants. The ego wants to consume that by having it flow down and out. So that's why the tempting serpent in the Garden of Eden is a serpent. But the, but the, but the serpent who uh, uh, defends Buddha as he attains enlightenment under the Bodhi tree, right, is a cobra that, that rises up and it protects him. So what you will notice over and over and over again is that there's only one of two options in in scripture and in ancient tradition and mythology and spirituality yeah serpent either serves you you are either a master of your serpent and the serpent serves you and protects you or the serpent is tempting you harming you or killing you in some way yep that's the only that's the only option there is no such thing as a neutral serpent <laughs> no. There, you, there's no such thing as a serpent who just, you know, goes by and slithers on his way and minds his own business. There's no such serpent like that in mythology or, or in any sort of spiritual imagery of any kind. In fact, there are countless images of intertwined serpents going all the way from Peru to Aztec to ancient Babylonia, Sumeria, 
And of course, the two intertwined serpents are like the, uh, the, the, the serpents on the caduceus of Mercury. They represent the energetic channels Idan Pingala going up the spinal column, which we talked about in the, um, in the live stream on Pranayama. But there's a third serpent, and that third serpent rises up the center channel of the spinal column itself. And that serpent, or if you look at the uh, tree of life, the, uh, the two pillars on the sides of the tree of life are uh, Jacquin and Boaz. And then there's the center pillar of light. And it's these three energetic channels, positive and negative, masculine and feminine. And then the center channel is the union of masculine and feminine. And that is symbolized in the serpent of bronze, which Moses raises up on a staff in the desert. And all the Israelites are being bitten by serpents in the desert. And they go to Moses and they say, we have sinned against God. We are repentant. Please pray for us. Have God take these serpents away from us, from tormenting us. And so Moses prays to God and God says, raise thou a serpent of fire on, your on, a, on a rod and, and, uh, and present it to the people. And anytime anybody uh, looks upon it, they will be saved. And so Moses fashions a, uh, a serpent out of bronze. Now bronze is an alloy, is a metal alloy that's uh, made up of copper and tin. And alchemically, copper is feminine and tin is masculine. So it's the union of masculine and feminine that creates the bronze serpent, the singular serpent on the staff. And, and lo and behold, the Israelites who were being bitten by the serpents, any Israelite who had been bitten by a serpent gazed upon the serpent of bronze, which Moses had raised on a staff, and they were saved. They were no longer bitten by the, by the serpents in the desert. And this is that symbol. If you do not raise, if you do not unite the masculine and feminine, and you do not raise the, the serpent, the kundalini, the sexual fire up the spinal column, that same sexual fire is going to bite you. Yeah. It's going to consume you. It's going to torment you. It's going to be the cause of your suffering. Because if the sexual energy is not flowing up and in, the ego is, find, is going to find a way for it to flow down and out. And the energy flowing down and out through the, the energetic channel, the negative channel, which is Eve, Eva, uh, 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 Ida, that's the symbolic tail of Satan, which descends from the Muladhara chakra. It has a little arrow that looks like a little arrow on the end of it, that, that symbolic tail of Satan. That's the fallen Eve inside of this humanity. Yeah. And if we do not work positively, uh, uh, working with the energy flowing up and in and transmuting it, right, turning it into a positive force and, and transmuting it into our solar bodies, well, then the natural mechanical <clears throat> uh, processes of nature are going to cause that energy to flow down and out. And this is why the vast majority on this planet just engage in animal sexuality and don't know anything about what we're talking about here. And, and even if they do learn about it, they reject it. They reject it wholeheartedly because they'll tell you that 
sexual uh, uh, sexuality is perfectly natural, is perfectly normal, because they've been hypnotized into believing that we're all animals, and that 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 they identify more with chimpanzees than they do with angels, and so they'd rather continue to behave like chimpanzees than they would to to learn and practice how to behave like gods. They they find them they find more in common between with themselves between themselves and primates which are degenerated devolved human uh, humanities than they do with uh, angels and buddhas and masters and gods because the, because their ego tells you well that's impossible nobody can be that nobody's perfect you're never going to be that way you're never going to be able to attain that mm -hmm. so why even bother yeah this is this is how easily this is how easy the ego rationalizes and convinces us to remain intellectual animals and and how easily we can be duped into a path of not just continued suffering but uh, the downward spiral deeper and deeper and deeper into hell because that's the only direction you can go if you continually um, ignore the facts and if you continually give in to ego, you're just going to be digging a deeper, uh, a hole deeper and deeper and deeper into hell. It's the downward spiral. Pardon me. All right. So in the previous live streams, we talked about pranayama, we talked about transmutation, we've covered a lot of material on transmuting the sexual force using sound, using breathing, and how all of these things can be done for as a single as a single person. Clearly, we have to get to a point where we discuss, well, what happens if you're not single? What happens if you find a spouse let's begin by defining what we mean by spouse marriage has absolutely nothing to do with any worldly institution marriage has nothing to do with a piece of paper that you get from city hall and marriage has nothing to do with what some priest or rabbi or somebody somewhere, minister, uh, presided over as you spoke vows to one another in a church or in a temple or in a mosque or in whatever, right? Those are, frankly, uh, beautiful, symbolic, but ultimately empty rituals. The universe doesn't care about any of that. It really doesn't. What matters to the universe is how you use the Holy Spirit, the fire and the waters which are inside of you, your mercury. We talked about this in the transmutation and the, uh, the, the live stream on transmutation. We talked about mercury as the fundamental element when it comes to sexual transmutation. <clears throat> 
and how we work with our mercury because the universe is scientific and the universe is based on laws and the overarching law that the universe is based on is the law of cause and effect and sexual alchemy is likewise based in that law <clears throat> so how you work with the sexual force the latent christic force the holy spirit inside of you how you work with that energy with someone else determines whether or not you are married so in the eyes of the universe if you engage in coitus with a partner that person is your spouse now clearly if it's a one-night stand if it's just a fling and you do this on a regular basis where you have multiple different partners well clearly those are not your spouses clearly you are an adulterer you are having many many different spouses uh, 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 individuals and then and you are wasting the sexual force to boot you are abusing the Christ you're abusing the sexual energy and you're doing so with multiple different people so uh and it's funny <laughs> it's funny we we're as we speak about this right uh the chat is being spammed <clears throat> by about some kind of uh pornography site looks like right <clears throat> so anybody that doesn't believe in the black lodge and anybody that doesn't believe that that uh um yeah, right now I'm on StreamYard, so I can only see that chat and not that one on YouTube. So oh, okay. <laughs> unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, guess. yeah, yeah. No, it's you know what? It's just YouTube. Just it's just spamming and spamming and spamming. And I wonder if we can. Okay, we can just block them. Okay. Okay, we just block them, so they won't be sh there. They won't be showing up anymore. Uh, so then a long time ago this humanity before this humanity fell this humanity exists in the fourth dimension meaning we were awake and we were aware and we were we were innocent and we we could commune with the animals we were truly the masters of nature we could speak with all the animals and it was a with all the elementals of nature and all the, the the elemental spirits of nature they were our friends and our companions and um it was then during that epoch when the androgynous humanity because we were we were androgynous at that point uh over a long period of time we were separated into the two sexes male and female and one of the unfortunate results of that separation was that uh, uh, 
that the individuals began to experiment sexually and began to engage in sexuality outside of the tutelage and the oversight of their innermost and of the, the, the gods, the angels. Because at that time, a couple, once a year, when uh, a couple would take a long journey, they would travel to a temple where they would be instructed in sexual alchemy, in white tantra, in how to engage and how to perform uh, uh, coitus in the right way to transmute the sexual force. And that tradition of taking a long journey with your spouse to learn how to engage properly and how to work with the sexual force, this power of creation, the power of the Holy Spirit in a positive way, that tradition of taking a long journey with your spouse and for the express purpose of having sex, that is the origin of what today people call the honeymoon. The word itself, the word itself describes what that journey was for. Because the moon, as you know, governs mechanical nature on this planet and the lunar yeah. forces and lunar bodies. A honeymoon makes the moon sweet and golden. Yeah. That's so it's the lead and gold. That's 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 yeah, that's like that's that's coating the lunar bodies with the with the cloak of the golden bodies. It's transmuting, it's the transformation of the moon into a sun, into a honeymoon. It makes the bitter the 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 bitterness of mechanical nature, the cold moon and the coldness of lust and the bitterness of lust because let's face it lust is bitter lust is bitter when you are in lust when you are in lust lust is not sweet lust is bitter it burns and it's only for a very 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 short brief period of time that lust is pleasurable and the rest of the time lust is bitter lust is suffering because you're always you're always thinking about it, you're always thinking about getting it, and then afterwards, you're spent until you start thinking about it again, and it's only this small little window of sensory pleasure that lust provides. The rest of the time, it's bitterness. It's cold. It's uncaring. We know that lust is uncaring. Yeah. Just watch some. Just watch some pornography. <laughs> no. Right. No, but you know what we're saying, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I understand. You know, the, the, the lust is not lust is not uh, lust is not where you go to feel to feel warm and fuzzy inside. No, you don't turn to pornography to to feel warm and fuzzy and uplifted. 
No, it's not going to do that. It's cold hearted. It's bitter. It burns. It's empty. It's, 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 it's terrible actually. And yes. It's draining. It's, 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 it's all those things. So this is the first aspect of sexual alchemy that we have to appreciate is that sexual alchemy or white tantra is not is not anything mechanical and it's not about choosing a partner just for the sake of being able to do white tantra the honeymoon the couple who joined together and went off on this long journey to the temples to study and practice and to learn how to unite with one another this is a sacred spiritual bond it is a union of souls it is a this is where the terminology soulmates and twin soul comes from twin soul is not made up by the new age and neither is soulmate these are not these are these these are terms that were appropriated by the hallmark greeting card company and uh, and the new age movement but when you have a bond with someone that is on that soul level it is a sacred it is a spiritual union that you that you long for that you crave with that individual a true union a true uh, a binding together or as we get expressions like the ties that bind and the wedding rings that together form a link chain and the and the uh, holy eight that forms the infinity symbol right take two wedding rings and put them together it's a union it's a bond but it's also the holy eight many times we've explained how the word re legare in latin means union means to bind together it's the same exact same it's the the root word of the word religion it's a, exactly the same meaning as the sanskrit yug which means union and is the root word of yoga but what's not maybe so clear is that the word alchemy is al from the arabic al meaning god allah and it's also from the hebrew el which also means god so al is god and chem means to fuse or cast a metal to fuse together like when we were talking about Moses uh, creating the alloy of bronze by fusing copper in tin. So al-chem means to fuse together with God. In other words, it's the same meaning as relegare yeah. and yug. Religion, yoga, and alchemy, same thing, same meaning. 
to fuse together, to union with, to bind together. Now, how do two people fuse together and bind together as one? There's only one way. There's only one way they can do so. Physically and metaphysically. And that way is sexual alchemy. The act of having sex with your loved one, who you have a soul connection with, who you have a longing to bind together with, that you love so deeply and so passionately that you long to be able to fuse your bodies together as one and feel their soul within your soul and feel their heart beat one with you as, as, if, as if you could become two protoplasmic entities and merge together as one being and feel each other inside of one another completely and fully. If you have ever experienced that with a loved one, with your soulmate, this is the closest an analogy, analogous methodology that we have to the experience of being united with God. The act of sex, the act of sexuality is a is an experiential methodology, analogous methodology to know what it feels like and what it means and what it is to be one with God, to be one with he or she who loves you more than any other because you have one innermost being. You have one monad in the same way that you have one spouse, or at least you're supposed to only have one spouse. And there is only one being in the universe that you can become one with, and that's your own innermost being, your own monad. Just as in life, there's only one man or one woman who you should be uniting with in that way. And when you do unite with them, it must be in this appreciation, in this broader sense where you know that your uh, desire if we can use that word just temporarily, mm. your longing, your craving to be one with them, to unite with them physically and emotionally in the act of sex is because that individual, your partner, your lover, your spouse, your husband, your wife represents for you the priest or the priestess who, through whom 
you have direct access to God. Oftentimes you will hear people talking about the body as a temple. Yes, the body is a temple. But what good is a temple that is empty? What good is a temple that has, that has nobody in it? And normally, when you think about rituals and rites performed in a temple or in a church or in any house of God, usually those rituals are presided over by a priest or a priestess or both priest and priestess. And you will find in ancient texts and in ancient writing and in ancient scripture and in ancient mythology, every temple in every religion had both priest and priestess. There was no distinction and there was no, uh, there was none of this patriarchal nonsense of the Catholic Church, which even they, you know, threw a bone and, and let women become nuns. But I mean, every spiritual tradition, going right back to uh, pre-Egyptian times, to the ancient Sumerians, the priests and priestesses of the temple presided over the activities of the temple. And the worshippers came into the temple and they were instructed and led by the priest and priestess in their, in their rites, in their rituals, in their prayers, in their mantras, in their activities, because the priest and priestess were devout and were studied and could, and they bridged the gap between the lay people and God, because they showed the lay people the way to practice within the walls of the temple. So within the walls of our temple, whether we're man or woman, we gaze upon our spouse and we are preparing ourselves to enter into that sacred ritual of union, of binding together, of fusing together with that individual. And seeing them, our bodies as the temple, the house of God, and our partner as the priest or the priestess, the gateway, the intercessor between us and God. That's not just your spouse. That's your priest. That's your priestess. She has the power. She has the knowledge. She knows the prayer. She knows the mantras. And likewise, if you're a woman, your 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 partner, your 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 husband, priest, he has the connection. He has the power. He knows the prayers. He knows the mantras. Together, you can create one temple, one united temple. And together you can perform the sacred act, the sacred ritual, the sacred rite of union, of al-chem, of yug, of re-legare. And through one another, now you open that portal, you open that gateway, where your union together as one now opens up the 
channels, the portal to union with your being. The other thing that happens, of okay, let's there's some there's some comments. Let's take some comments. Lucy Lucy says it's pattern addiction, very hard uh, challenge for our society to break the uh, yes to break the desire of uh, of lust of for fornication. Absolutely, it's a it's a pattern, it's a habit, it's an addiction. Uh, we have um, Dylan who says there is great responsibility in this power. There is a dramatic Dunning-Kruger effect present in humanity, though. Um, yes, okay. Um, the overqualified on the path, underestimating their power, and the extremely incompetent overestimating what they think they have. Absolutely. This breeds arrogance and more ego without this union. We have a hard time lowering our vibration for anyone coming to know this love. Uh, not sure what you meant by that last comment, but we'll let it stand. Um, <clears throat> okay. The next thing that happens, so this is all of this, what we were just describing is all a part of the mental preparation, the appreciation for the act itself and what the act represents. But not just what the act represents, but what the act is, metaphysically, scientifically. You are... A man and a woman are like a lock and a key opening up the portal to the innermost sanctum sanctorium of the temple, to the holiest of holies, inside the temple. And what is the temple? We are the temple. The temple is inside of us. And the second thing that happens in a ritual of this kind, as in most rituals, we have elements of water and of fire. We can look to, for example, the baptismal waters in uh, Christianity, but we can also look to wine and the or the transubstantiation of water into wine, which is of course allegorized in that uh, the passage from the Bible in which uh, Jesus transforms water into wine in the uh, wedding of Cana. And again, it's at a wedding. And it's never revealed whose wedding it was. But esoterically, we know that it was Jesus and Mary Magdalene's wedding. And Jesus transforms the water into wine, the transubstantiation. This is also related to Dionysus, by the way, who Dionys in the Dionysian festival, Dionysus was the one who transformed water into wine. But then there's also the inclusion of fire. And whether it's the Merkaba or the candles or any number or burning of incense or any other number of methods by way, way fire is used inside the temple, what's clear is fire and water, when you apply heat, 
to water, the water begins to boil. And where water boils or where water simmers and boils, it creates steam. And this explains a great deal of the alchemical symbols of the medieval alchemists, where if you look at the alchemical symbols and the languages, the language used by the alchemists, you will find you will find many, many devices that are showing beakers and bottles and tubes, and there's fire underneath, and they're stoking the fires, and they're they're boiling liquids, and there's there's a man and the woman in the water. And the and the uh, the the bottle is always this very phallic symbol, and uh, the other thing, of course, is that the, the 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 bottle is hermetically sealed. And we talked about this in the uh, live stream on on transmutation. Hermetically sealed comes from the the Greek god Hermes, and we know that the staff of Hermes or the caduceus of Mercury is precisely those energetic channels in the spinal column. And hermetically sealed means to keep the energy inside, to seal it tight, to not allow the steam to escape. This is what it means to distill water, to purify water. You take mineral water, you take any dirty water, you take any salt water, right? Saline water. And remember in alchemy, salt is the earth because the, the, the elements are salt, sulfur, which is the fire, salt, sulfur, mercury, and azoth. And to extract the water from the salt, you apply fire, you distill the water but the water has to be hermetically sealed. If you allow the water to escape, do you allow the water to boil over? Number one, if water boils over and you're boiling water over a fire and the water boils over, it's going to put out the fire. That's exactly what happens when you have an orgasm. But also if you allow the steam to escape, you can't harness, you can't capture the steam. So the distilled, the purified water is lost, the purified mercury is lost. What we want is the steam to rise up the spinal column and be captured, hermetically sealed, and condense in our crown chakra. The purified, the distilled waters of sexuality raised. Now, how do you boil water? Can you boil a pot of water with a blowtorch or with dynamite? No. Right? So how do you boil water? What, do you what is required to boil water, practically heat. speaking? Heat. Well, what kind of heat? Because dynamite creates heat. Yeah. So what kind of heat? Controlled fire, basically. So controlled fire, sustained. Sustained fire, yeah. Right? Okay, so another way to think about this, if you barbecue, here in North America, people like to barbecue with charcoal. <laughs> <laughs> Americans like to barbecue with charcoal. Well, 
the, the thing about charcoal is that if you light the charcoal and you apply too much heat too quickly, the charcoal burns out. It, it, it flares up and it flares out. What you, and that, and that, and that if you're barbecuing something and if you put the steak or you put whatever the chicken or whatever, or, or the ribs or whatever over the, the, the charcoal, if the oil drips down and you get flare ups, right? The oil drips down on the charcoal, but then it, it, it ignites and that the flames come up it, what it's going to do is going to burn the meat on the outside, but the meat's going to remain raw inside it's not going to cook properly because flames these flare-ups in the barbecue they all they do is they scorch they don't they don't cook they don't transform they don't transmute what we know what we want are red hot coals we want coals burning slow and steady for a long period of time. Then you can put a whole big pot of water on and then slowly that water is brought up to a simmer and brought up to a boil. And you can keep that water boiling over that red hot coals and for a long period of time. Now, at first, when you first begin this practice with your partner, uh, it's not recommended to uh, go for extended period of periods of time. And the reason why that is, is because we have to give our bodies an opportunity to adapt to this process, to this new way of conducting ourselves sexually. Because our bodies have like, and our minds have likely been conditioned to uh, behave very differently sexually. Our sexual energy in the act of coitus is still likely conditioned, and our mentality and our physical body is still likely conditioned for it to uh, seek fornication. And for it, it's expecting for the sexual energy to flow down and out. So when we first begin practicing white tantra or sexual alchemy, and we are in union with our partner, we want to begin slow and steady and recognize that we're just beginners. And that so we, you can't you can't begin your training by running a whole marathon, right? Just begin by running a couple miles, and then you know what? And then it's okay. Then tomorrow's another day. <clears throat> Practically speaking, we should uh, give ourselves twenty four hours between sessions of White Tantra. This is to allow for the body, the central nervous system, and the mind and, and everything to reset and, and recover. Because again, the act of transmutation, it's, it's very much uh, a scientific process, but it's not a mechanical process. We, as practitioners, 
we as practitioners of sexual alchemy, we create the conditions. We have, like the alchemist, we have control over the tools, the, the machinery, our physical bodies, and we have some control, some semblance over the amount of heat that we are applying and the amount of water that we're working with and the, 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 the salt, the sulfur, the mercury, all of these things we have some semblance of control over as the alchemist. And if you don't know what those symbols are, study the alchemy course on Glorian.org and get a deeper appreciation for the instruments of alchemy and how they relate to the practice of the alchemical work in the alchemical laboratory. There are two lectures on this topic on the alchemy course on Glorian. But realize that the energy that we're working with, the Holy Spirit, the Kundalini, the sexual force, is a divine intelligence. And that divine intelligence, we can apply mechanically, not mechanically, we can apply consciously all of the scientific <clears throat> conditions for the transmutation to take place. But that transmutation is still reliant and still dependent upon our karma, our level of being. In other words, our, the amount of free consciousness that we have, our attitude, the amount of love in our hearts, the devotion, the dedication, the integrity, the responsibility, the humility, the gratitude, The divine intelligence inside of us isn't going to create the Christ inside of us if we are behaving like demons and if we are behaving like animals. And if, if 23 hours of the day we are fornicating in our mental center, in our emotional center, in our physical center, Verbally, we're abusing other people, we're swearing, we're lying, we're cheating, we're only thinking of ourselves, we're envious of other people, we're worried about our material things, we're worried about, like, if 23 hours of the day, we're fornicating through all the other centers of our body, through all these other egos, and then one hour of the day, we practice white tantra, and we think we're going to Christify ourselves? <laughs> it's self-evident. It's ridiculous, but rest assured, this is how people think. Yeah. This is how they behave. They are they are uh, they are uh, spiritual aspirants, you know, for uh, for twenty minutes a day when they sit down and meditate, or for half an hour a day when they do their yoga, they're spiritual. The rest of the time, they're thinking about how they can get ahead, how they can take advantage of the other person, how they can get what that other person has. You know, how they can get their hands on a new iPhone. These are the things that concern them. They're not thinking about, they're not thinking about their divine mother. They're not thinking about how they can bring forth into the world that which is inside of them. They're not concerned about that. 
they are as and that's why we made that video recently the one about selfish spirituality because there's another type of spiritual aspirant who are so desperate to get a partner so they can practice white tantra why so they can awaken so they can awaken powers so so they can awaken clairvoyance so they can travel in the astral plane so they can spy on other people so they can get so they can get uh they can learn about the future so they can go and win at the casino or win at the horse races or like any number of things it's it's there is no limit to the imagination how the imagination can be twisted and corrupted by ego and how the ego can fantasize <clears throat> about taking advantage of spiritual powers and so there are many 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 people who enter into spiritual relationships of convenience and there are schools of tantra that have you sign what they call soul contracts with people and they it's actual an actual written contract that two people fill out and they sign and that contract binds them to one another in a sexual relationship for the purpose of attaining spiritual powers attaining spiritual enlightenment whatever the school is is uh, is uh, purporting uh to offer them and they and they they write these soul contracts and many of these schools are polyamorous they let people write these soul contracts with multiple different people <clears throat> and everybody involved is only in it for themselves <clears throat> so we have to recognize that this is far more serious than just playing with fire. Yeah. And there's an interesting passage in the Bible. I can't remember what verse it is. Is it? It, uh, it goes something to the effect of uh, sins against the father can be forgiven and sins against the son can be forgiven but sins against the holy spirit cannot be forgiven now what does that mean traditionally uh the father is like sort of the mind uh and the the son being sort of the, the wisdom so intelligence intel uh, intelligence in other words the truth so we can sin against the truth we can lie, we can be dishonest, you know, whatever. We have many, many egos that that fall into that category. And then there's the sun, wisdom and love. And so we can fall into fear, into gluttony, into laziness. In other words, we can fall into all sorts of wrong action, unwise action that sins against the sun. But sins against the Holy Spirit. Ah, there we go. Thank you, Benjamin. Wow, that. thank you. See, that's perfect. Uh, so Matthew 12, that we read, Therefore I said to you, any sinning and, and blasphemy shall be forgiven men, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. So blasphemy against the Spirit, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit, is the kundalini, is the sexual force. Yeah. And the reason why that cannot be forgiven is because if you... 
if you have ego operating while you are practicing Tantra, even if you don't fornicate, but you are having lustful thoughts, or you're imagining this or that power that you're awakening, or that you're imagining becoming this, or you're imagining becoming that, or you're... In other words, if you are not focused on the love for your partner, on your love of your Divine Mother, on your love and devotion to your innermost being, your love and devotion to God, in other words, your humility, your gratitude, if you are not aligned and in tune with these beautiful harmonic vibrations that are vibrating in harmony with your innermost and your innermost intimate Christ, the God, the Logos within you, if you are mentally or emotionally vibrating in desire, in lust, in ambition, in pride, mystic pride, and the person that you're engaging in sexual union with is, is a, is, is a, it's a union of convenience. They were available. They were willing to have sex with you. And so you decided that you're going to practice white Tantra with them. But you don't really love them. You don't really care about them. You have no real compassion or sympathy for them. You're only in it for yourself. You will be creating more egos. You will be creating whatever egos are controlling your mind and your heart and your body in those moments. The reason why blasphemy right, against the spirit cannot be forgiven is because we live in a universe of cause and effect. And many sins can be forgiven, but not the ones that you are creating yourself scientifically. With the power of God, with the with the with the power of the Holy Spirit, the the creative power of the universe, which you are abusing in those moments, right? The 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 the, the lords of karma cannot undo that because they have to uphold the law of cause and effect. You are creating those things. You are causing those things to come into being, like like uh, Doctor Frankenstein who's bringing the monster to life. Like, you are doing that. So, God can't press the undo button. He can't, he can't click the, uh, uh, you, know, you know, control undo on the keyboard and make all that go away. He can't. You are doing that. So, it's, we have to recognize that what we're playing with here, like we, we began at the outset, what we're working with here is the creative force of the universe. And the Gospel of Thomas says, bring forth that which, which is, if you bring forth that which is within you, that which is within you will, sa it will save you. But if you do not bring forth that which is in you, that which is in you will kill you. This is related to what we're talking about here. Because if you work with that energy 
in the positive upright way then it is the path to your salvation the sexual force has the power to destroy all of your lower self all of your animal self all of your animal egos and it has the power to create the solar bodies the the vessel the human soul which is the vessel which is required to transverse the supernal worlds and that energy is within you to bring forth into the world and into your temple using those superior vibrations but if you but if you don't bring it forth using those superior vibrations but inferior ones that same energy will be your will be your downfall will be your destruction and that's what we see every single day all around us this in this humanity all around us all the time that's what you see you see people's pride and ambition and lust and fear and greed bring about their downfall and in many ways causing us so much suffering in the world and that suffering is being created because all of those egos are being energized and being strengthened by the christic force the sexual force which is being abused and being that's flowing down and out and being negatively uh charged and negatively polarized So, a few things of note. Number one, Benjamin says, I did not know what that passage meant until now. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, he means this passage. Uh, Therefore, I say to you, any synod and blasphemy shall be forgiven men, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Uh, <clears throat> We said that uh, sexual alchemy is the the synthesis, the uh, the coming together of all of these different practices that we have been talking about. Just a moment ago, we mentioned how the sexual force, the Kundalini, the Holy Spirit, can eliminate all of our animal aspects. Well, that's true, but only those elements which we have previously comprehended. And that's where meditation comes into play now some people have wrongly believed that uh, white tantra has to be performed in an act in an act of meditation uh, this is not the case it's certainly <clears throat> we need to be focused we need to be relaxed and we need to concentrate on what we are doing but uh, sexual union with our spouse is not meditation it is not meditation it is much closer to dancing um, and it is it is a it is something which is sacred but it is something which is different In meditation, we are seeking uh, a liberation 
from our physical bodies and our mental body and our emotional body. We're going deeper and deeper and deeper into ourselves, seeking that place of shushumna, that calm, uh, shunyata, that place of calm abiding within ourselves. That, that is not what we need to successfully uh, perform sexual alchemy. Sexual alchemy, we need to be present and aware very much in our bodies and very much paying attention to what's happening in our bodies because the energy that is being awoken and aroused and flowing inside of us remember the lust is still there our egos are still there and our egos are very clever and lust is very charming right it's hypnotizing like the serpent right and it can come upon us very quickly right and all of a sudden we're you know we're we're we, we've lost control and then we've we you know we, we we fall right we have an accident so we have to uh there's a re there's one of the reasons why they call it the path of the razor's edge to be able to awaken the energy which wants to flow and awaken that energy but like the like the charcoal on the barbecue right we can't pour too much oil on it because it'll have flare-ups right so we have to balance right we have to regulate like a good alchemist we have to regulate that heat keep the water boiling but prevent it from boiling over keep it hermetically sealed so we can capture the steam and create the condensation that we are looking for but not boil not create such a system where the lid is so the lid is on so tight and the water is boiling so hot that the whole thing explodes because that can happen, right? If something's hermetically sealed, if you don't know what you're doing, you're trying to distill a liquid, you can create so much pressure in the system that the whole thing explodes. This is exactly what we're trying to avoid. Benjamin says, I, I now understand why, uh, why knowledge about Tantra was kept hidden throughout the ages until now. Because this type of knowledge is dangerous to an immature humanity. It's exactly right, right? You wouldn't give you wouldn't give a firearm or an atomic bomb to to most people, right? Because they're just they're, they're just not responsible enough. Its power is greater than the atomic bomb. It absolutely is. <clears throat> the uh, Okay, so, so meditation comes into play before we practice White Tantra. And by that, we don't mean you meditate and then have practice White Tantra. That's not what we mean. What we mean is you have to have previously comprehended egos in meditation. At some point previously in your life. So if you do not yet have a partner, you do if you have not yet met your soulmate, <clears throat> you do not have a partner, a spouse with which to practice white tantra. This does not mean that you are lost and this does not mean that you do not have work to do. There's plenty of transmutation that we can do with single people and more importantly, 
we have plenty of egos to meditate upon. We have plenty of defects and vices to observe ourselves moment to moment in our self-observation. We have plenty of uh, impressions to transform moment to moment in our lives and then later in meditation to <clears throat> meditate upon and identify what egos were playing themselves out during the day and what was triggering them and how were they causing us and others suffering and, and meditating on those egos and trying to seek that moment of comprehension of those egos because our Divine Mother can eliminate only those egos which we have previously comprehended. We have to have learned our lesson. We have to have extracted from those egos the self-evident experiential knowledge, that which we seek before she can eliminate them. It would be a crime for her to eliminate them before we had learned our lesson. Because if we don't learn our lesson, we're likely to repeat, the, repeat our mistakes. So that's number one. That's how meditation fits into the whole alchemical uh, issue. Next, we have, of course, relaxation and concentration, the self-observation that we practice and the transformation of impressions that we practice throughout the day. comes in very, very, very handy when we are practicing White Tantra for us to remain present and aware and in observation of ourselves so that we can be aware of what is moving and shifting and happening inside of us mentally, emotionally, instinctively, uh, physically in our motor center, and of course, naturally sexually and being being aware of the energy and then of course the next thing is in the transformation of impressions when lustful thoughts arise or when lustful impulses arise the ability to recognize that and transform it into love And not berate ourselves, not be ashamed, not be afraid, not be proud. But instead, instead remain humble and remain present and remain loving and giving. So the transformation of impressions in White Tantra is a very, very, very powerful companion and tool. Because lust will arise. Naturally, it will. Of course it will. Lust is desperate to get us to fornicate. Lust is desperate to get us to lose control and to get carried away. So it's constantly, or it's it's or it's might not constantly be trying to do it. It might be biding its time, waiting for the opportune moment to pounce, or slowly in our subconscious mind accumulating and accumulating and accumulating its own share of the energy and then it's going to try to throw it at us all at once but we mustn't allow fear 
to get into our heads either. Because and we have experience with this fear of the orgasm in white Tantra fear has a way of completely sabotaging the whole enterprise. Uh, and you will, and especially if you have a lot of fear and your partner has fear, um, the, the, your egos will, will conspire with one another to sabotage the whole event. Now, how can that happen? Well, there's two very simple ways that fear can get between you and your partner and your ability to practice white Tantra. The first way, and, and both ways relate to sexual dysfunction. First way is uh, impotence. Fear can actually get in the way and anxiety and uh, fear can can prevent and if obviously if certain physiological changes do not happen uh coitus just simply is not possible the second way that fear can get in the way of course is another form of sexual dysfunction known as premature ejaculation And that, of course, sabotages White Tantra in a completely different way. And ironically, both those forms of sexual dysfunction on the part of the male, uh, they, can be, they can be in part contributed to and triggered by uh, fear that's being expressed from the woman. And remember that fear is also the ego behind control. So in many sexual encounters, in many sexual relationships, there's a dynamic, there's a chemistry between the man and the woman, which is one of dominance and submission. And that uh, dynamic can wreak havoc on the practice of white tantra because the masculine force is the active force. And in a pure expression of sexuality, i.e. without fear and without the need to control, without the desire to control, the man is the active force. The feminine, the woman, is the passive force. But if you have a strong... Uh, a woman who is a uh, is a caught up in a strong feminist mentality and she believes that her place in sexuality she's the dominant one and she is going to dominate and she is going to be in control of this white tantric session that's entirely her fear that's entirely the desire to control that's the demon of fear you are now bringing the demon of fear to that sexual act and if your partner suffers from fear his fear is going to be triggered by that. 
And that can lead to either of those two forms of sexual dysfunction. Either premature ejaculation or, or, or a failure to uh, perform sexually. <clears throat> uh, you cannot come to White Tantra with any sort of uh, contemporary uh, attitudes or egoic attitudes towards sexuality. And you cannot bring to White Tantra any sort of modern uh, feminist ideologies or dominance and submission uh, uh, um, fetishes. These have no place in White Tantra. We are talking about working with pure, the pure, purified sexual waters and purified sexual fires. If you bring domination and submission, if you bring feminism, if you bring I'm in control and I'm I'm I wear the pants in this relationship and blah 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 and all this kind of stuff to white tantra, you are just you're just waiting asking for a disaster. And we speak here from first-hand experience. We are not making this up and we did not read this in any book. You will not read this any in any book. You will read it in our book. That's the book you will read it in. Because we know this from first-hand experience. The the games that men and women play in this modern world are completely antithetical to the enterprise of creating the innermost intimate Christ and transmutation and transformation and the creation of a true human being. All the mind games, all the power games, all the feminist propaganda and all that, and all that, uh, that uh, male machismo and all that nonsense, all these, all these uh, uh, dominance uh, hierarchies and dominance uh, uh, um, uh, uh, mentality and jockeying for position and all this kind of stuff. In relation to that, speaking of positions, if it is true mentally and emotionally and energetically that you cannot bring dominance mentality and dominance energy to the practice of White Tantra, you cannot bring any of these foreign elements and egoic elements to the rite, to the ritual, to the sacred temple, and apply it to your priestess or your priest. In the same way, priest and priestess cannot apply those same those same uh, conventions of modern sexuality, they cannot apply them physically. In other words, there are certain positions of domination and submission which have no place in White Tantra. In the practice of White Tantra, the sexual organs are designed <clears throat> to unite a certain way. This is, the, this is what is appropriate to the practice of scientific chastity and sexual alchemy 
the transmutation of the sexual force. <clears throat> if you go putting certain body parts where they do not belong, you are at risk of damaging yourself and damaging your partner. <clears throat> and the way that a Gnostic instru instructor uh, described it is that if you buy a, uh, an electronic device, you buy an electronic device that requires batteries. You open it up <clears throat> and it shows you in what direction the batteries have to be installed. And they will show you positive this way, negative that way. You put one battery in this way, you put one battery in that way, and that's the way the batteries have to go into that device. Now, if you think yourself clever and you think yourself smarter than the engineers who built that device and you put in the batteries backwards or you put them upside down or you stick them, you stick the batteries in other places where they don't belong, you're going to damage your device. You're going to make the electricity flow in that device in a way that it was not meant to flow <clears throat> because the electricity was meant to flow take a certain path through that device in order for it to operate as designed. <clears throat> it is the same thing with sexual alchemy. When you are engaging with your <clears throat> priestess wife or priestess husband, you have, a, you have a, a key and a lock. You have a socket and a plug. And when you combine those two aspects, you create a circuit <clears throat> and the, the, the alignment of Ida and Pingala take place and the energy can flow as it was intended to flow, as it was designed and engineered to flow. <clears throat> you start messing where those things go and you start causing energy to flow in places and in ways that it was not meant to do. And we can speak, again, out of direct experience without getting into too many details, but we can tell you yeah. with <clears throat> the nature of the demon that we live with is the reason why we are here carrying this burden is so that we can know this and tell you this because we know it like we know it like we know it because we live with an actual demon of fear a bona fide, full-fledged entity of fear. And we can tell you that any and all sexual positions which are not the union of masculine and feminine sexual organs in the traditional, natural, coital orientation, any and all other sexual positions are 100% fear-driven. They're all dominance and control-driven positions. That includes all oral sex, and that includes all sodomy. Forget about what you think about lust. Forget about what you think about desire and, and, and getting off and fetishes and everything else. This is why dogs hump other dogs and why other animals in the natural kingdom, other uh, uh, mammals engage in what appears to be homosexual behavior. It's not homosexual behavior. Humping is hierarchical dominance behavior. 
in animals. Animals hump other animals. Males hump other males for dominance. That's what that position. And alpha males, uh, and that's why most animals, most mammals mount their mates in that way from behind because that is animal, because animal sexuality is all based on dominance. Because animals who live in prides and packs, it's all based on a dominance hierarchy in order for those animals, for the alphas, to be able to have first pick of the alpha females and first pick of, uh, of sexual partners. And oral sex, likewise, is completely dominance and power and control oriented. It doesn't matter if you talk to a man or if you talk to a woman. It doesn't matter. It, and it doesn't matter who or what is doing what. It doesn't matter. If they are honest with you and tell you the truth, we know because we've done our research. We've done our homework into this. And we know personally from our years, years spent on the, on the dark path doing uh, sexuality in the wrong way and attracting partners who were as possessed as we were, but they didn't know it. They weren't aware of it. We became aware of their possession, but they were oblivious to what they just, you know, they, they were, they were asleep. But we became very aware of what was going on and the dynamics that were going on. And we have years, unfortunately, years of experiencing this firsthand and knowing firsthand what, in fact, the dynamics are at play and going on in those degenerated forms of sexuality. They have no place in white tantra. It is not love. There is no love in any of that. There is none, none. It is at best masturbation with someone else, at best. And masturbation is, there's, no, there's nothing positive or good about masturbation. There's no love in masturbation other than self-love. But that's not the right kind of self-love. It's narcissistic self-pleasure, self-indulgence. That's what, that's what that is. And it's important for us to be clear on this on these points because many people will give you all sorts of rationalizations and justifications and everything sort of else, but they're just lying to yourself. It's just ego uh, justifying what it wants to continue to indulge. It wants to continue to enslave you to its desires. <clears throat> so in the proper mindset, the proper mentality, the proper attitude, the proper alignment emotionally, vibrationally with your partner, um, we can then, and focused in concentration and being present and transformation of impressions, then we get into the using the use of sound as a means of transmutation, as a means of assisting and raising our vibration to, to um, facilitate the transmutation of that force, the raising of the Kundalini. So as we discussed in our 
uh, live stream on on sound, we have mantra and we have prayer at our disposal. Now, clearly, we also have breathing, but pranayama is unnecessary when you're doing sexual alchemy because you are actually in the process of raising the kundalini and transmuting the sexual force that so that's that process is going to be happening already if you want to breathe in unison with your partner you can do that but if you start doing pranayama while you're doing sexual alchemy you that are doesn't work really no you you you're you're at cross purposes and it's it's um it would be like a skier choosing to take a snowmobile down the mountain <laughs> yeah does that make any sense like is that is that a, a reasonable analogy where 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 clearly you have a a beautiful natural wonderful thing to do to nice beautifully slowly or whatever slalom yeah. your way down the mountain but instead you jump on a snowmobile and you <laughs> you, you, <laughs> you take a snowmobile instead like it defeats the purpose doesn't it yeah um the uh now there's one caveat to that there's one caveat and that caveat is that there is a way to use a rapid pranayama if as a male or perhaps even as a as a woman i don't know i've never i haven't been in that situation myself so i can't speak to that but if as a male you you suddenly feel uh, that you are about to lose control of the situation and you're about to be pushed over the edge, you can um, retract yourself and do some and do what they call and, uh, and squeeze the muscles. Um, the uh, what they call the uh, the like uh, Kegel movements. So you squeeze all the muscles. Mm -hmm. Of the sexual organs and around the uh, the pelvis and the anus, and you 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 do a tight squeeze, and um, you uh, you breathe in, like like doing hamsa, but rapidly, but without the sa. Yeah. Just and just focus on breathing up and in and up and in and mm. up and in and on the s. You just breathe it into your heart, but just as much as possible up and in and up and in and squeezing and stuff. This is a way to catch yourself and prevent yourself from, from losing the energy. Um, this is the only time that, and this is not, and this is clearly not a practice of pranayama, which we would encourage you use at other times. This is a, uh, an emergency stopgap measure, right? This is a seatbelt, right? For when you're about to 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 uh, on on the brink of losing control. Now, this actually has helped us not only in white tantra, <laughs> but also. Um, in those times when we've been uh, assaulted in our sleep by uh, astral larvae, by uh, uh, succubi, 
and uh, we were on the verge of having a, a wet dream. But because we had done this practice and we knew about this practice and we were aware of it, and even despite the fact that we are not completely conscious and awake in our dreams, we it's we can't be at currently at our present state of uh, of uh, of of being. Uh, we are often encountered by by entities that are trying to fornicate with us in our sleep. So because we know this practice, this practice is, we have remembered to do this practice in our dream. And so we have averted um, uh, having wet dreams often using this practice as well. So it's good to keep in mind. It's good to have as part of our arsenal of, uh, of tools as we uh, engage in uh, the practice of uh, transmutation. So, but otherwise, the mantra that we can use, there's several different mantras. The first one is E-A-O, which is, of course, E-A-O. We want to do this together with our partner. And the way that we would practice it, we would take turns with our partner. Uh, who led the prayer or who led the mantralization. When you are engaged in sexual alchemy and when you are engaged with someone who is a, um, a practiced or learned priestess or priest, they know what they're doing and you trust them, you have that knowledge to trust them, then it is very easy to allow them to lead for a time and you just follow their lead and they will tell you like we're going to do this mantra now or, or they will start praying and they'll pray a line and you will repeat it after them and they will pray in the next line and you will repeat it after them and so on and so forth and you can pray together you can do mantra together and as you do this especially as a male you will observe physiological changes and you will recognize that you will have to increase certain activities to maintain levels of energy and levels of heat because as you start transmuting the energy obviously you're going to be taking energy out of the system you're going to be transmuting it into a higher form so if you are not careful, you can transmute so much energy that you lose the connection with your partner because of the physiological change that happens if you run out of energy, right? It's not just without being too graphic here, but I mean, use your imagination. Um, and so this is the real challenge with white tantra, especially for men, because generally speaking, it's men who have an easier time uh, reaching orgasm than women. And uh, the man has to obviously uh, keep it up, keep up his end of the bargain. And so if you're transmuting the energy and he has to maintain a level of stimulation in order for the energy to keep flowing, in order for the connection to remain um, 
uh, 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 viable, well, there's a risk at overstimulation. There's a risk of pumping in too much energy, right? And not transmuting enough or transmuting too much energy and not pumping in enough. So this is why it's called the path of the razor's edge, because there's this, there's this balancing act of not enough energy and losing, losing the erection, losing the connection, or too much energy and being pushed over the edge. And so this is something, uh, this is a balance which it's, it's very different for every individual and it's very different for every couple. And this is also another reason why you want to begin your uh, foray into sexual alchemy with, your, with a new partner uh, slowly and gradually and in recognition that this is a new partnership, this is a new uh, alchemical union, and that some of the it'll make it will take some time to work some of these kinks out, and it'll take some time to really find the groove with your partner and with yourself and working together with them. Uh, and then you will also become more familiar with your own lust and how it gets you and the tricks and the tactics that it tries to use and how it tries to weasel its way into your mind and weasel its way into your heart and weasel its way into your body. So, uh, but again, these are, these are things that you will have to uh, overcome and discover on your own. So there's the mantra E-A-O. The other mantra is Krim, that's K-R-I-M. If you can roll the R, then you extend that rolled R. Could it, I, we can't roll our R's like that. So cream, and then there's you can also use aum, but e a o and cream, and then there's e. It's an also another good one. Uh, if you are in the act with your partner, and whoever's back is exposed, or perhaps both of you are sitting upright and both of you have your spine, spinal column uh, straight but exposed, you can gently stroke your partner's spine from the bottom to the top as you mantralize or as you pray as a beautiful, in a beautiful, loving, gentle, caressing way uh, to, again, just, just to stimulate and, and get them to remember and get them to think about or focus on moving the energy. And, um, and that's, a, that's a, just another uh, uh, loving and, and, and sensual way that you can do that to uh, remind one another in a sort of gentle and sensual way what it is that you're doing. And why you're doing this. <laughs> um, and then, of course, we mentioned prayer. In our live stream on prayer, we mentioned a few prayers. You do not need to practice. You do not need to use prayers of protection during White Tantra. But you can certainly say the Our Father, the Hail Mary. And then you can also pray just from your heart. <clears throat> and that's a beautiful, wonderful thing to do. 
where either you or your or your priestess partner or your priest husband leads a prayer line by line and you just repeat after them and they'll be speaking from their heart and you can actually take turns like this and and you can pray together if you want you can if you both know the hail mary you can say well let's pr pray the hail mary together now and you can pray the hail mary together but if you're spontaneously praying from your heart you may need to say the line and your partner repeats it after you and you go back and forth like this and then then later on they can make up a prayer and just speak from their heart and it is perfectly acceptable and in fact in our experience it is it is a beautiful and magical thing to look into your partner's eyes as you pray to your own to divinity to god and your partner becomes your priestess wife or your priest husband becomes that gateway that analog that worldly embodiment that physical embodiment of divinity in your arms and you can speak to god directly through them with the same loving devotion that you have for them and the two loving devotions become as one and the love and devotion and and passion that you have for your partner and all of that that energy and that warmth and that love and that glow in your heart you you put all of that into your prayer and it's like you're praying to your partner it's like you're worshiping your partner but you're worshiping your partner as a as as a priestess of the temple as a as a living embodiment of the divine mother there she is in the flesh venus athena isis call her that she is that she is a perfect expression of the divine feminine in that moment worship her that is what you're doing that's what you're doing you've made of your bodies a temple so worship one another truly but with that loving devotion with your with your heart full and if you if you if you perform the act in this way you will experience sexuality in a way that you have never experienced it before you will you will you will you will come to a place where you will finally know what you've been missing this all this time doing animal sex and no matter what it is you've been doing with no matter who you've been doing it with no matter how you've been doing with it and how you've been doing it until you have performed white tantra at the level of of ecstasy of bliss but spiritual ecstasy spiritual bliss you have no idea what you've been missing and and the more you become attuned with and aligned with and and accustomed with practicing this ritual with your with your wife with your husband your priestess wife your priest husband um you can do this for you can sustain this for hours for hours 
bliss, ecstasy. And then in many then then your your practice it's 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 it almost becomes a meditation but not because you've set out to make it so it's but you 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 and your partner in your temple surrounded by candles burning incense playing beautiful music with fresh cut flowers or whatever it is with rose petals on the bed whatever it is that you've done to prepare your bedchamber to make it a sacred, beautiful space. But you and your partner will go into a place of bliss. You will you will enter into a different dimension together. And you will, and then eventually you will get to a point where you've you've just simply transmuted all of the energy that you have to work with at that moment, at that, at that, at that particular time. And then simply you will you will look at each other and you will you will recognize that okay it's that was that was absolutely beautiful we've now arrived at the end we've transmuted all the energy that we had to transmute and afterwards you can you can you can say a prayer together you can do a macrocosmic star you can thank and pray to your divine mother together you can thank her for her grace and uh and for letting you work with her divine spiritual energies and and then you will have to wait another 24 hours before you do it again but from that point forward you will never go back you will never ever ever you may feel the desire, the momentary desire of lust now and then. But once you have uh, experienced sexual alchemy with your, with your spouse, a loving union as we describe it, and you will, you will never premeditatedly think about going the other way going going back the other way ever again it's uh, you would have to be you would have to be possessed by some very 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 strong uh demon of lust to want to go back to your old ways and it does happen in dreams and in other things like we can get you know lust has its way of getting to us but but you yourself will recognize how that conventional animal sexuality cannot hold a candle cannot touch what it means to achieve genuine bliss genuine ecstasy with your spouse to truly make love as the gods make love to make love as the gods not to make love as animals but to make love as the gods do and to touch divinity through your spouse that way it's, it's there's nothing else nothing else can compare nothing else nothing else can uh, can come close okay some uh comments here partners need to protect each other from fear uh yes certainly do women need to learn how to open the heart after men can feel uh through women 
feelings. Here is no other way how to heal the society. Yes, you know what? Both men and women, uh, many of us, our hearts are uh, closed because we've been uh, hurt, but also because many, many people have taken advantage, uh, especially those of us who were born maybe a little naive, a little open-hearted, a little too open with our feelings, those of us who wear our heart on our sleeve, and other people have taken advantage of that. And they've taken it, they've, they've saw it as a sign of weakness, and they've attacked us, and we've allowed ourselves to be trodden on, and, and, and so on and so forth. So you know that old expression, once bitten, twice shy? And many women have opened their hearts to the wrong men because for various different reasons. Um, and many women have given themselves to the wrong men because men have said, to, uh, lied to them. Men have given, men have told them all kinds of, pardon the expression, all kinds of bullshit. You know, have told the women whatever they wanted to hear just to be able to get what they wanted. Right, just to be able to, to sleep with them, right? Because lust is so powerful in this day and age, and men especially uh, can be so susceptible to it. The, the, and what, what we find is that where men are willing to lie and deceive women in order to sleep with them, the irony is, is that women seem to be just as uh, uh, likely to lie to themselves in order to get the, the, the love, the heart connection that they're looking for. So whereas the man is deceiving them to try to get the sex that they want, the woman is, is rationalizing and justifying and lying to herself about this guy that, oh yeah, no, no, he really is the real deal because she so desperately wants that, that heart connection. It's a very, and then meanwhile, all of these lies that are being told are all lust. It's all lust, just, just conspiring to get these two people to come together and fornicate. And uh, usually such relationships end in disaster. And those, such marriages end in disaster, end in divorce and, and, and everything else because they were built on a lie. And there were the lies that the man was telling the woman and there was the, the, the lies that the woman was telling herself. And to a large degree, it, both, it works both ways. Is men can tell themselves lies and women can tell the, their partner lies. And that, that, that inability to speak the truth, that inability to, to see ourselves and know ourselves, right? That's why self-observation, self-awareness, self-knowledge is so important because if we don't have that, if we don't have that, or if our partner doesn't have that, and we try to unite with them in white tantra, all of those lies, all of the sources of those lies they're going to co-opt the process and they're going to they're going to sabotage it they're going to make of it a complete clown show a complete disaster area like if you just imagine just you you all know what chernobyl is right just it's it's we talked about atomic energy earlier just you know what happens or like like the fukushima reactor the fukushima meltdown that's what happens when the ego gets in the way of white tantra, you have a complete meltdown because you're working with that atomic energy, 
right? And now, and now you have this dysfunction uh, occur. So, um, so yeah. So, so Benjamin says sex is sacred energy exchange. Well, it is that. It is all much more than that, but it is that as well, which is also, by the way, why you don't want to have multiple partners and why you don't want to be jumping from one relationship to another. <clears throat> because it takes time <clears throat> to disengage <clears throat> the body energetically from a previous partner. In Gnosis, believe it or not, we say three years between spouses. So between a sexual relationship and another sexual relationship, uh, you want three years to be able to, to return your body back to its base, to its to detune the tuning fork from, from the attenuation that it had with its previous partner. There is one other thing that we wanted to mention, and it's, a, uh, it's important, and it's related to women and their, uh, their, their period, their, their monthly cycle. Uh, women should not perform any form of transmutation, any kind of pranayama, or perform any kind of white tantra while they're on their uh, menstrual cycle. So for that week that a woman is on her period, um, it is detrimental and damaging for her to be transforming the sexual energy. Uh, and the reason why that is, is because when a woman is on her period, her body and her vital body needs to, those forces, those energies need to flow down and out. Um, her cycle is governed by the moon. That cycle is part of mechanical nature. That is a natural process that happens in that level of a woman's physiology, but also energetically. And if she starts trying to transmute the sexual force, or if she engages in white tantra with her partner while she's on her cycle, then you have lunar forces that are flowing down and out. And then you are trying to transmute those forces and getting them to flow up and in. And those forces are mingling now with the males, if you're talking about trying to do white tantra, and you're mingling very, very, very strong, powerful lunar mechanical forces. And as we said earlier, you do not want to bring lunar mechanicity to your white tantra. Likewise, you do not want to deprive a woman, a woman's body from the, the energy flowing down and out when it has to. She has to have her period. She has to have that uh, uh, happen. So you do not want to mess with that. So, um, so that's the only other um restriction that we wanted to mention but it's an important one and it's one that often gets neglected to mention and by the way there are many uh, uh black tantric schools and new age schools that try to worship menstrual blood and they encourage women to do all sorts of yoga and all sorts of uh pranayama and all sorts of different practices while they're on their period to try to harness the power of their menstrual cycle and their menstrual blood. And there are schools that do things like drink menstrual blood and do all sorts of like 
menstrual blood, menstruation, all of that. Like there are all sorts of schools that want to worship this and idolize menstruation as being beautiful and mother earthy, mother earthly. And, and this is the, this is what defines a woman and defines a woman's spirituality is her ability to create and all this stuff. And that's the creative force and all this kind of stuff. It is all negatively charged, lunar, mechanically charged energy. If you drink menstrual blood, if you worship menstrual blood, if you're trying to transmute uh, as sexual energy on your period, you are taking those mechanical uh, forces and you are charging them through your body. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a, a terrible negative uh, black magic, red magic, uh, red tantra uh, practice. And it is, uh, it is not, not advisable in any way, shape or form. And all the schools teaching that are, and, and remember these practices, these are not new practices. These new age people didn't come up with this stuff. They didn't make up this stuff. They found this stuff in black magic and red tantric, uh, uh, texts that go back thousands of years. Sexual degeneration and black magic is nothing new. It's been around for millennia. It's been around as long as, as uh, white magic has. It's like the Jedi and the Sith, right? It's like, it's like the Lords of Numenor and, and, and uh, Sauron, right? Mordor. It's the same type of thing. Like you got thousands and thousands of years. The forces of darkness and the forces of light have been, have been uh, locked in this chess game. So don't think for a second that anybody in the new age has, because this is another thing that we often hear this uh, nonsense about, Oh, well, the old texts and the old traditions and the old stuff that apply to the previous age, to the age of Pisces, all those rules apply, but now we're in the age of Aquarius and now all the rules have changed because we're living in a new age and everything's changed and this and that. It's these are the same these are the same people that would try to convince themselves that the law of gravity changed from one day to another because of an astrological change. And now gravity no longer works that way. Oh, don't worry. You can you, you know, two days ago you couldn't drink sulfuric acid. Now we're in a new age, so you can drink sulfuric acid because the laws of chemistry are different. It's the same mentality, right? It's 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 lunacy, is what it is. It is lunacy, is what it is. So beware, beware. When you, you go out on the internet, you, you, will, you will encounter every conceivable uh, degenerated uh, form of sexuality and degenerated form of black tantra and black ma magic imaginable. There are things out there that we guarantee you cannot even bring yourself to imagine how awful some of these schools are but they openly advertise and they openly promote their way as a path of genuine spiritual sexuality <clears throat> and a genuine uh, path to um, eternal life to to divinity to awakening to whatever uh, so uh, the Black Lodge is very, very, very clever, and they're very, very good at what they do, which is deceiving 
people, especially naive, pure-hearted, good-hearted people who do not have it within us, right? We do not have it within us uh, to, to conceive of the, the levels of degeneration that these people are capable of. That's why it's so easy for them to dupe us is because we can't think like they do. Which, by the way, is one of the other uh, advantages that we have in this day and age being possessed. Because, uh, and we've, you know, we don't hide this fact, right? We, we have within us a bona fide demon. So rest assured, when we tell you what these Black Lodge people are about, and what they can conceive of and what they do, rest assured that you might not have the ability to conceive of that. But we have within us an entity that can and does conceive of these things. And we have had to live without horror our entire life. We have had to live with the knowledge of knowing what we are capable of if we allow that entity to rule our life. Mm -hmm. So when we say that we know what we're talking about, we know what we're talking about. We have the, we know firsthand. So when we, when we tell you the nature of sexual degeneration, when we tell you what's behind that, that there is no love in it, we speak from firsthand experience. And when we tell you about becoming uh, uh, possessed and that you do not want that to happen to you, or you do not want to awaken as a demon, we know what we're talking about, right? This is why we are walking the path that we are walking. We are walking a very difficult path, a very painful path, a path with a lot of suffering, a path with one leg in the light and one leg in hell. And we are walking that path precisely so that we can speak with authority and knowledge and experience to say, you do not want to allow yourself to get duped and to get conned and to be charmed and roped into what they're offering you over here on the left. Because trust us, we, we, we have one foot in that. And it's quite enough. Thank you very much. We don't, we, we don't need any more. <laughs> no. Okay? Right? We've only got one foot in there already. Okay? And we've, we've just, that's just enough. Right? We, we, we've got just enough of that to know how dangerous and how... Uh, um, how much suffering and how much uh, devastation that all of this can cause and all of this can bring about. And you can imagine the types of experiences that we've had in white Tantra and everything else when we've been attracting, as we said, because like attracts like, and we've been attracting partners who are attracted, who were energetically matched with us, which means that they were every bit as possessed as we, we are. Yeah. But they weren't aware of it. They didn't know. And so they were, they were in the dark. They were blind. So when they, so they were bringing their 
roommate <laughs> to the table, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they do they weren't aware. Yeah, you know, so we here we are trying to keep ours at bay because we know, you know, and but then but then they're bringing theirs out and then it's bringing us ours out and oh yeah, we, we wrote all about this in our article on uh, lovers and cheaters. Yeah. So so, but but all of this, all of this was that so we could speak with the knowledge that look, if that's what happens to 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 couples, where one of them is awake, now yeah. how, how about all those other couples where neither of them are awake? Mm. And that so, so where it's just demons fornicating with demons. Yeah, and that's what that if you you turn on television, you turn on HBO, you turn on any of these these uh, these so called streaming services, or any of the Japanese uh, anime that's rated uh, eighteen plus. Yeah, or any of this stuff. What is it? Mm-hmm. It's all it's all buying for demons. Yeah, it's all it's it all entertainment for demons. Kebai. <laughs> 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 like they do that sign. <laughs> you know we live in Japan, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh Oh gosh. Um <laughs> uh, uh not not the not the time to be telling stories. No. Okay. Uh we're we've we're over the three hour mark. Um we we want to thank you for uh, for coming. Well, first of all, any questions or any comments, anything before we go? Uh, what Benjamin says that's a wonderful explanation. Thank you. Perhaps that is why in the Old Testament it was also advised not to touch a menstruating woman. Yes, exactly. Well, because yeah, they would have said that she was unclean. That's the way they would have put it in the Old Testament. Hmm. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's related to that because women are very earthy. And, and the other thing is that, um, you know, a woman will absorb the energies around her. Um, and then those energies will come out during her menstrual cycle. So if a woman surrounds herself with negative energy and a negative environment for the, for the rest of the month, and then on her one month on her pyramid, she's unbearable to be with. That's why, because she's surrounded herself because women absorb Mm. the energy in the menstrual cycle. It's the the creative life. The womb, the womb is a vessel. Okay. It's the Holy grail. The womb is designed to absorb prana. It's designed to absorb energy. It's very nature is that that is how it creates a life. It absorbs energy including the energy that it gets from the male, right? That's, that's, that's whole point is absorbing energy. So what it absorbs for the three uh, weeks out of the month, it needs then to expel that during the, during the cycle, during, during the, the period, it expels all that energy, but that energy comes out of the woman in every way through her mental body and her emotional body, as well as her physical body. It's not just a purely physical phenomenon. And many women know what we're talking about here. And many men know what we're talking about here too, because men have men who live with women and go through women on their period know what we're talking about. 
just as many uh, women experience unbearable emotional uh, uh, upheaval and uh, strife while they're on their period. Sometimes it's depression, sometimes it's this, sometimes it's that. Well, if you're not transforming the impressions the other three weeks out of the uh, month, and if you're absorbing all this negative energy, you're watching negative things, you're listening to negative music, you're gossiping, you're you're just you're just absorbing yourself, you're you're allowing yourself, immersing yourself in all that negative energy. Well, then of course, when all of that comes out during your period, of course you're gonna feel terrible because your womb, your, your entire self, the woman is the receptive force, the feminine force is the receptive force. So so don't be surprised if you if you if you're constantly surrounding yourself with negative people and negative energy and negative emotion and then uh and then you're having a terrible tough time on your period or you're or you're taking it all out on your lover or on your husband or whatever because uh it's all it's all going to come out of you now and that's why as a husband right you don't want to fight with your wife all the time you don't want to you don't want to fill her with all kinds of fear and doubt and anger and frustration and envy and and all of this you know you you don't want to uh uh do that because believe me all of it's going to come back at you when she has to get rid of all of that she's going to get rid of everything that you gave her and if that's what you were giving her you're going to get it back so you can you can complain all you want but if really that's you have to recognize what a woman is right and what a womb is and the the female force is the receptive force and then one week out of the month her body her energetic body her vital body her emotional body her mental body and her physical body has to flush out everything that she's absorbed Benjamin says, uh, thank you so much for yet another wonderful lessons uh, you have shared with uh, all of us, sir. I have a question, please. For those who have indulged ego in the past due to ignorance, what would you advise to become healed from the undesirable outcome of those egos, especially if you've hurt other people? Uh, all you can do is meditate. <clears throat> meditate on those egos. Meditate on... <clears throat> the harm which you've caused yourself and others and um and seek comprehension of those egos and that's all you can do all you can do is learn from your your lessons learn learn from learn from your past mistakes and your learn your lesson don't keep repeating the same errors over and over again but also you have to achieve this level of knowledge uh, in a higher plane not just in your mind you need to comprehend those egos in all 49 levels of the mind which may take a lot of meditation may take years of meditating on a single ego but it's what we have it's what we have available to us it's what we have to do so Remember that meditation is important, but meditating on your egos is more important. If you're going to meditate, yes, meditate, but then spend half an hour, whatever, whatever long it takes to get into meditation, 
don't forget to meditate on your egos, on your defects and vices. And don't forget to pray for help, pray for guidance, pray for comprehension. <clears throat> and this is how this is how you can um, uh, be healed from the undesirable outcome of those egos. That's the only way. You have to you have to get at the cause, at the source, right? In the universe of cause and effect, to get at the effects, you have to get at the cause. It's not enough to treat the symptoms, right? Because many people think that all you have to do is, is change your belief system, change your mind, hmm. and then you're good. But that's, but that's not how this works. Because if your ego has been uh, working through your mind all these years, and you change your mind... All you're doing is you're changing the the space that the ego is affecting. But if if you shut off that space and you no longer make it available to that ego, rest assured that ego is going to find another way to express itself. It's going to start expressing itself through your heart or through your physical body. Or in the case of fear, it's going to change its mask. It's going gonna, it's gonna to start expressing its... Because he's the great chameleon, fear is. So up until now, he's been, uh, in your mind, he's been uh, expressing as, um, I don't know, fear of spiders. It's just been a phobia, right? Or, or, or fear of relationships, right? And, and this has caused a great deal of uh, uh, problems in your life. So you finally get it. You finally get to your place where, no, no, relationships are okay. Relationships are okay. Relationships are okay. And you've done all this mental work, right? Like all these motivational speakers talk about. And you've retrained your brain to no longer be afraid of relationships. Mm -hmm. Now you get into those relationships and all of a sudden, you want to dominate and control the relationship. Now you're the alpha male. Now you're going to control everything in that relationship. You're not afraid mm -hmm. of relationships anymore. You're going to be in charge of the relationship. <laughs> and what's happened? What's what's gone? What 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 happened in that moment? What, in that precisely fear the same fear that was wearing a mask of i'm terrified of relationships because you've now reprogrammed your brain where i'm terrified of relationships no longer computes the ego says okay we can work with that takes off his mask of I'm terrified in relationships and puts on his mask of I'm in control of relationships. <laughs> yeah. Now, there you've had years of counseling, years of, of psychotherapy, years of self-help, years of whatever the hell you were doing to reprogram your brain to not be afraid of relationships. And now what? Now you're in over-domineering, dominating relationships because the same ego of fear exists and it's still working through your mind. It's just changed its face. It's just changed its tactic from fearing relationships to controlling outcomes in relationships. It's still fear. You see? Exactly. Exactly. Understanding and comprehending the ego is the key. 
This is why our book is so important, right? This example that we gave you, you think we're the, you think that we made this up, right? Understanding what we live with, understanding what we deal with, what we, you know, we're speaking from firsthand relationship. That example that we gave you, that was us. That was, that was the demon of fear working through me, through us. That the, the example that we just gave you. We know it's completely impossible and useless to fight fear in the mind or in the heart or in the body. That's not how you fight fear. You don't fight fear by going after the symptoms. You fight fear by facing the demon where he resides. You got to go where he is. And that means you got to observe yourself moment by moment. Wherever he raises his head, you are there shining the light on it. And then you got to go deep where he hangs out. You got to go down into the dungeon. You got to go down into the labyrinth. You got to hunt Medusa. You got to hunt the Minotaur. You got to be like those adventurers in Dungeons and Dragons and in all the myths and in all the fairy tales and in all the horror movies where you got to go down into the dark, dank, horror filled, haunted basement of the old haunted castle. And you got to seek out uh, uh, Nosferatu and, and, and drive a stake through his heart and cut off Medusa's head. All of this, you have to be a warrior. You have to be a warrior. And that's why fear is our greatest adversary. More than lust, more than lust, fear is the greatest ego that we have to overcome because fear is the antithesis of faith. And fear is what prevents us from going down into the darkness and down into the dungeon and down into the deepest, darkest, most most uh, 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 horrible, terrible, frightening uh, uh, places of hell to go into the very haven of the demons themselves, into the very bowels of hell, into the place that they call home that's where we need to go. That's where we need to face our fear. That's where we need to face all of our egos. And we go down in there with faith, with trust, with knowledge, with courage, and with faith. Because that is the path. That is the path. Uh, Andrew says... Fear itself must be profoundly meditated upon as we have to know its source in the profound cosmic night where its roots in mind trace back to within the 49 or 7 times 7. Not in this life, but eons as it is. It says, amen, brother, abyss, haha, root to ego. Uh, Roy says, this is very true. Fear is the last demons you need to face and conquer. It's ultimately why, because even though, okay, Lust is the mother of all egos. This is true because lust is desire. But we speak now with complete conviction and experience. The path is surrender. 
the path of faith is trust in yourself, in your higher self, and your and your divine mother. <clears throat> it is. Have you ever done one of those trust exercises? Where where you you like can, falling back, like falling backwards, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, that why they they call it a trust exercise. Why is it a trust exercise? Because you you hope you don't you don't know you hope they're going to catch you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. But you see, you have to face your fear because even as you're falling backwards, fear is there. Mm -hmm. Fear is there, and even though you. You're a rational, logical uh, entity, and you say, look, I'm in a public place, I'm in maybe school, or I'm in a community center, or I'm in a, you know, whatever workshop, or whatever, wherever I am, these people aren't going to let me fall. I, I, I'm fairly comfortable and secure, knowing they're going to catch me, right? Mm -hmm. so, so logically, rationally, you, you, you know they're, they're not going to let you fall. But it doesn't matter. In that moment, when you are suspended there for that millisecond, and 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 now you're you're falling, the fear is there. But you see, we must learn to live every moment of every day of our life like this, and trust and have faith that our divine mother and our innermost being will catch us. To be or not to be, whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or take up arms against the sea of troubles and by avoiding end them. It's all, it's there. It's right there. And Shakespeare's not talking about a trust exercise. <laughs> He's no. not talking about possibly falling on your bum and hurting your, and, and, you know. And, and and no 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 he's talking about outrageous fortune <laughs> outrageous this is you you realize now this is fear to be or not to be this is this is fear this is a question of fear there's nothing in that there is nothing in that soliloquy where lust comes in to be or not to be is a question of faith and it's a versus fear trust or or no no i'm controlling i'm in control of my own life do you trust your higher self your divine mother your innermost being to rule and guide you on the path or do you like or are you going to be no 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 i'm i'm in control i'm in control of my own fate so this is why this is why we're writing our book on fear because it's very interesting. You see, fear is not listed as one of the seven deadly sins. No. Is it you? We, we must ask ourselves that question: Why? Why isn't fear listed? Yeah. As one of the seven deadly sins. Yeah, that's strange. It's strange, but. In the context of understanding the Catholic Church and, and understanding Catholicism, which we were raised <laughs> yeah. in, all of a sudden you realize it's not so strange. No, that's <laughs> not so strange. Because their entire faith was based on fear. Yeah. Their entire religion was based on fear. The fear of going to hell, fear of the church, fear of excommunication, fear of, you know what I mean? Fear of mm -hmm. God. 
The whole yeah. the whole religion was about putting the fear of God in you. So they couldn't make fear a deadly sin. In fact, fear is behind all the deadly sins. And we will be explaining that and showing that in our book. Because fear is the great chameleon. If all of the virtues are faith, and all the virtues are based on knowledge and knowledge of God and trust in God, for example, courage and humility and 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 so on and so forth. <clears throat> if all of the virtues are faith, then all of the sins are fear. And we've even shown that, we've even shown that when it comes to lust. That yes, lust may be the mother of all desire, but the desire for outcomes, and all desires have outcomes, including lust. Lust has an outcome, and lust wants to control the outcome. Fornication, the orgasm. Lust want, knows what it wants. And all egos want the same thing, which is to exist and to multiply, to be secure and comfortable and in control. That is fear. That is fear. Okay. Thank you. One and all. Oh, a couple more, uh, couple more uh, comments. Roy spoke of the last demons you need to face. Because of that, I have a question that arose from that. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, one of his last words were, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Is he in fear during that moment? He's ha he has a moment of he has a moment of weakness. He has a moment of doubt. He has a moment of uh, but he's facing his death. He's facing his final. I mean, he's he's just undergone a tremendous traumatic experience. I mean, he's just been crucified. And really, those words are the last words of his personality and his mortal being. The next words he will speak will be of the arisen Christ. So what you are hearing there are like, for example, if Isaac, Abraham's son, were able to, were given voice in the Old Testament, when God tells Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, then Isaac would say, but God, oh God, why have you forsaken me? It's the same, it's the same idea. Because in this case, God, uh, Jesus is the sacrificial lamb, right? Jesus, the man, is being sacrificed. He's sacrificing himself and he's dying, but he's just a man. He's not yet a Christ. He won't be, he won't yet be a Christ until Sunday. When the when the he walks out of the tomb, a, a risen, crucified master. So of course he has a moment of weakness. He has a, a weakness of saying, "Why have you forsaken me?" Because he has been forsaken. Because we we must all forsake and sacrifice our mortal self, our false self, this I that we identify with. This is not who we truly are. This is not this is not our true self. <clears throat> Andrew says, haha, suspense. We love it. Fear fathomed by us to create a good rise from its ashes after we sacrifice it to our inner fire. Uh, Roy says, yes, all is driven by fear, like politics, religion, etc. Yes, it's true. Andrew says, all sins <clears throat> have root in fear of second death, which small death orgasm leads to. Yes, it does, in fact. That's that's true. Um 
do all sins have the their root in the second death? Um, no, they all sins have their root in psychological death. The the all sins have their root in the fear of psychological death. The fear of the second death is related to that, but because they they're both talking about the death of the ego. But the thing is, is that as you point out, uh, if we if the if the egos keep getting their way, the inevitability is second death. So they can't really be afraid of the second death. Egos don't think that far in advance, right? You know that about egos. Egos have a short-term mentality. Egos are all about instant gratification. It's what they want now, 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 now. Egos will very often forego long-term gain. Uh, or sorry, they will, they will be willing to exchange long-term pain for short-term gain. That's the very nature of ego. Uh, Roy says, fear is another level of demons. It's always in our actions and decisions. Yeah, what fear is like the mother. Well, it's not the mother of all demons. That's, that still is lust. But it's desire. But <clears throat> fear, is, it's, fear is almost like the substance that demons are, are made from, if that's the case. Or, or if lust is a substance that demons are made from, it's, again, it's... it's it's a it's a it's a difficult way and really it depends on your own experience yeah um it's hard to describe the the the, it, the relationship between desire and fear is so intimate and it's so interwoven it's it's all it's almost from for us at least for our experience at least it's almost impossible to separate fear from any of the other egos because every yeah. single ego that you can show us we can show you how fear is operating in each and every one um, uh, Mugabu, 22, much love to my favorite physical teacher, Atlas Alex, and his assistant, Azazel. <laughs> I like that. Uh, I, I yeah. owe you a lot. In this generation, not many people are preoccupied with truth, so I'm eternally grateful to God. Uh, for more people who seek the truth, you give so much uh, information every week, and it takes time for me to absorb the information that sometimes I have to take a break and view the broadcast later. Well, this is another reason why we're going to move to one session a week. <clears throat> because it's not just we need the break. I think it's, as Mugabu just uh, said here, I think it's it's also good for everyone to have more time to sit with and meditate on the... Uh, <clears throat> and for those people who can't watch the live stream, this gives them an entire week to get caught up before we go on to the next topic. Whereas before it was like maybe too much crammed in. Uh, it was, it's too much. One will, it's, it's better to go take, let's, let's take the, the long road, right? Let's play the long game. Slow and steady wins the race. It's not a, it's not a race to the finish line. Roy says, yes, he's in the flesh, but he arrives in three days. Yes. The eye is the cross. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So his ego is dying there on the cross. So, of course, his ego is going to cry out, right? Because his ego is dying. His personality is dying. Andrew says, ah, thank you, brother, for these jewels of knowledge, which you expose for us uh, to learn from your experience, which you, which you, with you here now. 
Okay. You're all more than welcome. Uh, and Andrew, you've been a, um, a good friend and a, a faithful uh, 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 appreciator of our work for many years now. So <clears throat> we thank you also for your patronage. Uh, and as Azo, we thank you for your assistance. <laughs> yeah, thank <laughs> for, you for, for for being here and uh, and and yeah. um, putting a, a fresh new face to our live streams. And again, more of you are welcome to join the live streams. <clears throat> of course, we can we can make it a more of a discussion. And um, next week, we uh, if we continue along our core practices, then next week will be. Um, <clears throat> Uh, astral projection and dream yoga, and uh, and that'll be the last of our core practices, uh, and and other things related to awakening, consciousness. <clears throat> Everything up until now, we've we've uh, we've covered uh, uh, accumulating and uh, and uh, the, the, today's pinnacle, and then we'll 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 get to the next thing about awakening consciousness and. And, and aspects related to that. So dream yoga, astral projection, uh, and then we'll be done the core practices uh, uh, series. So then we'll be able to move on to other topics and maybe we'll, we'll see where that leads us. So uh, Benjamin says, of course, it's nice to see Azazil and it's nice to have you here, Benjamin. And does anybody have any more questions? Because if not, we will... We will say goodbye and good night. Yeah. Um, thank you all once again, and we look forward to seeing you all next week. In rental peace. Have a good week, good everyone. Thank you. Thank you for your time and energy with us, too, brother. Good to see you. Thank you, Roy, for being here. Have a good week, everyone. Again, in virtual peace.